F1 came back, which means the Ringer F1 show is in full swing. If you didn't know we had an F1 show, now you do. Did you know we had an NFL draft show? Because we had that too. The Ringer NFL draft show, a lot of combine stuff last week. So if you love the draft, you love F1, go find those podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right, first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I am popping on the Prestige TV podcast, probably Wednesday range due to another Succession Hall of Famer. If you missed last week's, go check that one out. We're also covering Last of Us and Poker Face. We have Succession and Yellow Jackets coming on that feed soon. New Rewatchables is coming Monday night. We did an action movie from the last 15 years. That's your hint. Me, Chris Ryan, things deteriorate. That's all I'm going to tell you. It, it, uh, this one was off the rails. So that is coming on Monday night as well. Ryan Rosillo is coming up. We are starting it again Sundays with Rosillo all the way through probably mid-July. Talking a lot of basketball, tiny bit of John Jones at the end. Not talking Chris Rock. I love 70% of that special. 30% eh. But 70% in the last seven minutes was riveting, whether you liked it or not. I was just glad to have him back. I don't know if he's a Mount Rushmore stand-up comic, but he's definitely one of the five or six most important ones we've ever had. The Mount Rushmore gets a little more, you know, that's that's tough. My personal Mount Rushmore, I, I have Pryor and Eddie on it, and then I would really have to circle back and think for a long, long time for the other two spots. I enjoyed the Chris Rock special. Good to have him back. Always good when the greats do a special. So we're not talking about that, but we are talking hoops. And I can't wait. And it's all next. First, our friends from Pro Jam. All right, taping this, 7.45 Pacific time. We were going to tape right after the Knicks-Celtics game ended, which we thought was going to be 7 o'clock, and it kept going, going, double OT. The Knicks prevail, nine straight for them. And before I start complaining about the Celtics, we're still low. This Knicks team isn't just frisky. They're convincingly frisky. 
I think they have reached. <laughs> What's the, the point. difference? What's the difference between frisky they're convinced, and convincing? They're not just like, oh, you're talking yourself into some friskiness. Now it's like, oh, not sure I'd want to see them in a four or five matchup. Not sure I'd want to see them in round two. They have a lot of fight. They have multiple scores. They seem like they just like each other and like playing with each other. What's the ceiling for you with this team? Second round? Or or do you think like party crasher? Like, could well, we see them keep going? Uh, you know, it feels weird because we all consider Boston a contender here. And, you know, I was there Friday night in person and it's the worst loss of the season where he was like, are you guys going to get back in transition at any point here? Um, the Nets then, game. The Nets game. And then there was a moment here when, the, when what, the Knicks went on was it a 25-2 run or something? I mean, it was ridiculous. And I was just watching Celtics being like, why? Like, it was 21-2. I'm like, where's the energy? Like, how can you not match their energy? How can you not understand that once quickly goes, he's going? Like, you you have to adjust to their energy. You have to adjust to their pace. And they actually did to get back in the game. They're losing overtime. So the reason I go through that is that I think all of us sit here that have been watching all season consider Boston a real contender being in the finals last year. And now they're 0-3 against the Knicks. Like, especially to lose this one. This is the one you were like, okay, Brunson isn't playing. You played like it's the worst loss of the season two nights ago against the Nets. You lost at New York. Granted, Jalen didn't play, but you weren't even in the game. And then the Boston, uh, like the Stars just got completely annoyed. Like they were emotionally out of that game in New York, you know, five, six days ago. So you would have thought they would be completely up for this and then quickly goes crazy. So... You know, if we were considering Boston a contender and then the Knicks do this to them for a third time, you're like, well, how can I not have them be a contender? What what stops me from doing that with just full contender status is that means you actually think they could win a title. And as great as Brunson has been and as great as Randall has been, that would be one of the worst duos to ever be a championship <laughs> duo. Yeah, it's fair. I think they have reached we could knock somebody off and around status pretty easily. I'm looking at the last... These are the records since December 1st. The Celtics are 27 and 16. The Knicks are 29 and 15. They, the Knicks have been slightly better now. We're talking three months. And that's not nothing. And they match up well with the Celtics and they're not afraid with them. And they have some coaching advantages too. Can, we, can I talk about the coaching now? I can't yeah, because we, we at least, when you say frisky, like if they played Cleveland the first round... You know, as much as I think all of us really love watching him play, figure Mitchell's better than any of the 10 guys that would be closing a game, um, which isn't a slight to Brunson. I mean, the fact that I'm even wondering if, if that's the right pick is a credit to how amazing Brunson's been this year. But Cleveland doesn't win on the road. They're 13 and 19. The Knicks yeah. do win on the road. The Knicks, the Knicks are 20 and 12 on the road. So if they win that, okay, that's not a huge upset. They're only a game behind them now, so who knows? They might jump them in the standings. And then it's like, okay, you're really going to pick them against Milwaukee? I mean, hell, no. if you picked them against Boston, I don't think anybody picked them against Milwaukee. Considering what happened in the regular season here with Boston, I don't know. So go ahead. I know you're actually, the tone in your voice, 340 in. Uh, we're not going to call a timeout here. We're just going to hand you the ball and go. <laughs> well, the reason Boston could see them, Boston could still be the one seed. It's still, it's neck and neck. Right now, Boston's 45 and 20 and the Bucks are 46 and 18. I think the Bucks are cruising toward it, but it's not inconceivable. It could be one, four, one, five, Nick Celtics in round two. Look, the Brooklyn game was disgusting. Um, I think, I don't know if he's a bad coach, Joe Missoula. I just know that he's learning on the job as this goes along. And I don't want to coach for a team that has a chance to win the title that is still favored to win the title. 
who's learning on the job. And you saw it today, stuck with the same lineup way too long. Just, just William Smart, Horford, Tatum, and Brown. He just wasn't going to waver. Quickly was doing whatever he wanted. They were in the same play over and over again. Derek White, who's the third best player on the team all season, just doesn't play in crunch time. Just come to accept it. He's not going to play in the last five minutes of these games. But the timeout stuff, you know, which on the one hand is like a total sports radio guy calling into Eddie Andelman in 1979. I don't understand why we're not calling timeouts. On the other hand, it's been really damaging. There's been multiple games this year where the no timeout thing has really hurt them, including today, where they have the ball 22 seconds left. They should have called a timeout. They should have put the put one more shooter out there instead of Grant, who hasn't made a three in about six weeks. And instead, they they just kind of run it along. 14 seconds pass. Nobody knows the play. They have to call timeout with eight seconds left. Knicks have a foul to give. Now we're down to six seconds, and you end up with the rush court for three. But it's just little stuff. And if it's 2-7 Celtics Miami, Rosillo, I just think Spolstra is going to look at this like, I can outcoach this guy and we can win this series, even though we don't have a better team. We can outthink these guys and outstrategize them, and we can win games in the last two minutes. And I feel like it's headed for 2-7, unless Atlanta um, folds and doesn't win that division. Miami's going to need to be either 6 or 7, it looks like. Celtics would beat any 7 or 8 team other than Miami, and I think the Miami thing would be a dogfight, but... I, I just can't believe we're watching the starting back from the Miyadoka thing early on in, uh, what was that, August? To, oh, this Joe, no, he knows what he's doing. He's going to learn. And now it's it's March, and I don't feel any better about him than I did four months ago. Okay, a lot of stuff there. Let me start with timeouts. Most of us do not know what's going on to the level that these guys do. Almost all of us that talk about this for a living. It's actually one of yeah. the weirdest dynamics of all of what we do is the terminology. Hey, actually, the help was supposed to be here. Actually, this was supposed to happen. But we know about timeouts, right? And so when something doesn't happen and then you have failure, everybody jumps on timeouts because it's the only fucking thing people are comfortable talking about, all right? And it's like, well, this guy didn't call a timeout and I feel better about myself. And we are far more likely to criticize anyone than compliment all the other things that happen and go right the entire time. But when it's this definitive thing of like, ooh, a timeout wasn't called. Okay, this didn't work. All right, now I have a four hour radio show and I'm going to talk about timeouts the whole time. That play and thank God for J.J. Redick. I love what he's doing on some of these broadcasts. He called it out. I mean, anybody that's ever watched any basketball knows what the horn set is. It's two in the corners. It's two at the elbows. And the ball handler has an option of going left or right. And then you can cut off of that on the backside or somebody pops. And Jalen's the only one getting the ball probably off of that action. Grant didn't know that it was horns. That's Grant Williams' fault. Okay. Horford, once Tatum was waving him, okay, and then Horford's like looking at him going, dude, what are you doing? I'm also sensing an annoyance with teammates with Grant anyway, which I don't think is any breaking news here because there was a switch that got messed up. Dude, in the Nets game, it was 34 seconds left. The game was over, and Grant's screaming for a challenge. So the, the call finger wasn't wave on for him. every challenge. She just yeah, loves they, challenges. Josh Hart made fun of him. Like he pushed Hart. Like some of the rebound fouls are really tough, but I think it evens out over the course of the game. And there was the foul where Hart got it. And then Hart actually made a Grant Williams face and was like making fun of him with his arms out. So I, there's two things. Maybe you're right. I don't know that Spo has, like, Spo's better than everybody. You really yeah, think that Miami team is going to win four out of seven with that offense against Boston? I don't know. You just, you were there in person on Friday night watching the Celtics just fold for an hour. I'm more on, play, look, I, I, when it comes to basketball, I'm way more on the players 
being the reason you win and lose than I am the coaches. And I don't think you like any coaches. When's the last Boston Celtics coach you thought was good? Casey Jones? I thought Ime was good last year. I liked him. You <laughs> didn't did for a while. Job. You didn't for a while. I did for a couple months and then I talked myself into him. I, uh, I, so I would go the other way on the no timeout thing, at least on the Grant play. You call timeout, it allows you to take Grant out of the game. He can't make threes anymore. Why is he out there? I mean, he, well, I, I don't think know it was how many minutes I, he played tonight. 40 minutes? Okay, but if, if we're getting in a lineup thing, and I agree, like Derek White's been incredible. You can't sit Smart, even though Smart couldn't make anything until he hit actually, you know, two big second. threes. Just stop what you said there. You can't sit Smart. Why? Derek White's better than Smart this season. I just don't think smart you're going to do that to looks, a team. I think there's like team chemistry, emotional stuff. I think it's. I think that would be a really tough move to pull um, to a team that did what they did last year and smart. I think having probably the best season I've ever had, just the way he played, controlled the game, wasn't trying to do too much. Like a subdued smart offensively is what we all want. I actually thought he did a lot of really nice things tonight. Uh, forcing do you that think physically there. he looks 100% to you? No, I don't. No, I don't. I think the numbers are meh. You know, and I think there's other times where the numbers probably look better than he's actually played, but I thought he busted his ass tonight defensively. One of my favorite plays is that play where he forced a turnover and it was a scrum along the sideline where I actually just thought it was off the Knicks player and quickly wanted to review when his back was to it. That was my favorite demand to review. Quickly didn't even see what happened behind him. But um, the other thing is with Mitchell and Randall, I don't think they could afford to take Grant out and have Horford be your only size. I don't think you were going to get any rebounds with no Rob. That's just me. You know, I don't know. I would have gone smaller personally. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I, I just, think, I didn't, I, I didn't like Grant in that game. And I thought over and over again, their goal was just to get quickly switched on him because he was going by him every time. And if that's happening quickly at the game of his life today, at some point you got to change it up and try different things. I just really, really worry about teams that just over and over again, the same thing happens, right? Like we'll talk about the Warriors later. The Warriors are in a different situation where they just fall behind a lot. And at some point you kind of are who you are. If just over and over again, you're scrapping from we're down. Like the what are the Warriors of the road now? Seven and 24. Like that's not a sample size anymore. They suck on the road for whatever reason. And the Celtics over and over again have this tendency. They did it today in this Dicks game. They have a lead. And then just blow it like in two minutes. And I don't know that the one thing with white that I think he does for them, at least offensively is he pushes the pace and he can get to the basket. And I don't think smart gets to the basket in the same way. Now, if you're, they posted up smart a couple of times in the game today against quick, cause quickly is like 150 pounds. And when they did that, I, the Knicks were like, oh shit, they're not going to keep doing that. Are they that like that? And then of course we stopped doing that again. So we could get to, Brown or Tatum just jacking up shots. It, uh, dude, Brown was awesome. Losses. Brown was awesome tonight. All right. Brown gave, I love Jalen Brown tonight. Um, Tatum's final, final numbers are good, but the, the shooting line Tatum was, was bad the second half. Yeah. Brown finished 12 for 25. Tatum was 12 for 30. And, uh, and both of them played high forties in the minutes. The Josh Hart thing is real though. If you're a Knicks fan and you're watching that and like Tatum had a really hard time with him and then, they there was two plays in particular where they ran a switch when they finally got the switch and they didn't get the ball back to Tatum, and then the play that drove me crazy I think it was the end of over, the first overtime where Brown had it and then this is something I just harp on all the time it's like people are so switch happy and I get that part of the 
forcing a switch isn't so much the one-on-one matchup. It's forcing a team to make a decision and getting guys moving. Um, I'd say it's to get a mismatch in the post, but nobody throws it to anybody in the post anymore. Phoenix tried it twice today with Aiton late in the game, and they're like, all right, we're not doing that again. It's like, yeah, no shit. That's why you guys don't do it. So I don't think anybody ever other than Embiid will be like, okay, let's get a post touch here to do something different. But the Celtics, and I would put this more on the players, is like, why are you running a switch where now Brown ends up with Hart? Like, that's the opposite of what you wanted. We're trying to get him off of Tatum, and now you're the ball handler up top. Granted, Tatum had that kind of layup thing, but it was just so rushed because it was like three seconds with the ball left. So I love what Brown did tonight. Um, Grant Williams, 44 minutes, two for seven, one for five from three, six rebounds, 44 minutes. And then defensively, they kept putting him in those switches. I just... I don't get the lineups. And I the the thing that really scares me about the Celtics for the spring is that I don't know who they think the best five-man lineup is, but it, it's always these lineups with size, which I think slows them down. And I don't like when they play slower. Um, and I, I'm worried about, like Milwaukee, you saw them have, and I want to talk about that Milwaukee-Philly game, but you saw them have trouble with that weird lineup that Philly had because P.J. Tucker was hurt and Harris was hurt. And all of a sudden, Philly had that goofy lineup. And they put up 48 points. Milwaukee's a little bit bigger. Like, they they just had trouble matching up with it. And that's what I'm not seeing from the Celtics team. I'm not seeing, like, innovation during games where it's like, oh, let me try this. Let me see if this works. Let me see. Let me, let me try. Let me go a little smaller here. Let me. I just don't see it. And I've been watching all season. I've been waiting for the light bulb to go off. And I just don't feel like this team is well coached. I don't think they're badly coached, but I don't think they're well coached. Okay, but he and did I have worry less. About it. He had less options tonight. You know, you don't have Brogdon, who you know some people would have six man of the year. Although I think quickly he's going to get a massive bump now because I think of so what too. happened. Um, so you know, as soon as you start saying that you didn't have Rob Williams or you didn't have Brogdon, I mean, you didn't have Brunson, who's been the best player this season for that team. So it's not really a good excuse. So, Is it more surprising when you don't have Rob Williams or when you do? Oh, I mean, I think it's surprising when you have them for a long stretch. Like the starting five that they want to have with Horford, Williams, Tatum, Brown, and Smart hasn't played much. My dad texted me during the game the other night, and he was like, "Rob just Rob just went to the locker room. Go figure." So he just, I think durability is a skill, which we've talked about before. And Rob can't stay in the court, and I don't know what it is, but just over and over again isn't able to do it. We didn't talk about the Knicks enough. RJ had 29, <laughs> quickly had 39. Randall, who is one of the most frustrating good players because when he may, when you're going against him and he makes shots, you get mad. It's like, oh man, again? Um, but he's got this weird herky-jerky ISO style that we don't really see anymore. It's like, what year is it out of? Like 1997? And, it, and it's been working for them. Um, but they're a hard team to play, and everybody in the team is competitive. And I, I don't know. I just like them. Um, By the way, the, that lineup that I was talking about has only played 180 possessions going into tonight. Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Rob Williams. The actual differential on it's pretty bad. Um, you know, if you, if you put in, it's just interesting to like see, like, hey, that's supposed to be the lineup, right? Now, if the other team goes small, you would go with one of the two between Horford and Rob Williams. I mean, the fact that Horford's still playing like this, too. I know. Like, that's That's... I mean, he's well, he played forty six minutes tonight. Most <laughs> of their be, best lineups be a DNP have coming up. Most of their best lineups have weight in it, just for whatever it's worth. And and I think he's been you're really right. good they're, as a two way player. Their best lineups are 
with smart white Jalen Grant Williams Horford. That one's plus 18. Then the other one is Tatum in for Grant, obviously. That's plus 13. Like, I have all the stuff up here. The most alarming one is the one that they... <laughs> is is either Brogdon instead of Williams with Horford. But, you know, the one that they want, the one they expect to have, is, is one of the worst differential ones they have, which, I, you know, I think speaks more to the inconsistency of that group actually playing together. I like on NBA.com, they have the two-man lineups where you can just see what pairings are. And they have, of their 13 best lineups this year, White was in eight of the 13. He's been really good all year. So you would bench, you would bench Smart. I would have benched Williams. And if that didn't work, I would have played White over Smart. But I would not have played Williams. In my opinion, I would have gone smaller and I would either played Williams at the five or Horford. I don't, what's Mitchell Robinson going to do? He's going to c- get a couple offensive rebounds. He's going to do that anyway, whether Horford's out there or not. Yeah, I look, I'm not even trying to like a block zag on you. You might be right. Hey, you know, try something different. Go with white. There's a really weird thing. I mean, it's not even Missoula. It's the NBA. Once the overtime starts, nobody subs anybody. People are just (laughs) entrenched with their lineups. Like if he had started second overtime, just like, all right, Derek White, your turn now. That would have been really weird. Teams don't do that anymore. If the NBA had a coaches convention, it would be funny if somebody was like, hey, I'd like to make a proposal that we can sub guys in in overtime, and then the league would be like, you've always been allowed to. And there'd be 30 head coaches going, are you fucking kidding me? We're allowed to do that this whole time? It's like soccer when the guys are out there. That's just what, what happens. Uh, I, I have I, one thing to add, though, that would be to your case. Because I'm I'm not even like, I just try to think, okay, if he didn't do this, why didn't he? And I thought it was because the size the Knicks played with there. Why not hack Mitchell a couple of times when you couldn't stop quickly? But they should be able to stop quickly. They have so many good perimeter defenders. They quickly shouldn't be able to do what he did in that game. That and his he, energy was unmatched. Was, his energy was, was his energy. He just was so good, man. God, he was good tonight. We were vindicated. What was the trade that we both liked? For it was quickly somebody else and three first rounders for Mitchell. Quickly Barrett and three firsts. Yeah, right? Barrett was going to be and in then Utah that. wanted more. I don't know. I still like that trade. Uh, I think I don't think they were going to do. The, I don't think the third. I think the problem, the holdup, was the third first wasn't going to be in there. Um, I know other people point to the RJ contract, but I, I'm pretty sure um, that you could have figured out a way to work with that if you wanted to. So, are the Knicks year? Where would you put them on fringe on the fringe contender rankings? I'll give you the Knicks. I'll give you Dallas. I'll give you Miami. I'll give you oh, Cleveland. No, I, like, I like the Knicks. I'll give you Minnesota. I'll give you Sacramento. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Knicks ahead of all of them because they they play defense. Over Sacramento. And Sacramento's defense is so terrible. This is an it's awesome story. Bad. I love the consistency. When you start looking at the five man units, I think they have like the I mean, granted, we're not gonna do cleaning the glass all day on the pod today, but <laughs> that that group, De'Aaron Fox, Herder, Barnes, Keegan, and Sabonis, they've played over fifteen hundred possessions. And it's like 300 possessions more than the second most played lineup in the NBA. So, and they play like that. Like when you watch them early in the year, you're like, okay, wow, this, this group looks like they've been together a long time when they haven't. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the most impressive things. But I don't know if we're going to get into it later, but the Sacramento defensive numbers are bad and they're actually trending worse. So um, it's a great story. One last story. thing on the Knicks before we take a break. because I, I have I don't one think last we, thing on the Knicks, though. Uh, I didn't do a good enough job of this at the start. The thing that they've done, actually, let's take a break and then I'll do this. 
This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. So the thing the Knicks did, so I had a friend who um, was out in New York City who lives in New York, longtime Knicks fan, the night of the Heat game when Randall hit the three. And he said, what's changed and what feels like 2013 and then... 90s, basically, which were the only times this happened and in, in maybe 2000, 2001, was that all the bars were locked in on the Knicks game. And like when Randall hit the three, it was kind of wherever you were, it was kind of a moment in the city. And I think the Knicks have at least reached that point where they have rejuvenated and reignited this fan base that had kind of given up on having a meaningful thing. I mean, think about two years ago with that weird Derrick Rose pandemic team and they were excited about that, like just that they made round one. Now I think they like this team. This is a very Nixy kind of throwback to the 90s type of team. And I think there's a real energy behind it. Like I guarantee that this will be the big talking point in New York all day tomorrow. Just see the Knicks game, just see the Knicks game. And they have the Celtics number, at least this year, which the Knicks Celtics, we've talked about this before, is the worst feud probably. It, it makes no sense, but it's a terrible feud. These two city basketball cities that are three hours apart and have basically three memorable playoff series over the course of 70 years. Well, that's because so, Philly was the Eastern Conference one forever for us. For Boston. It's and, just the Knicks Celtics just never happened. They, right. they were never it, good at the same times and it just never happened. And it was always going to be overshadowed by anything that happened while they were at home in the finals. You know, so, I mean, to, nothing's going to match Boston and LA. So, I mean, it's just weird. It's like one of those ACC things where it's like Duke's our rival and you're like, actually, Duke has like three teams ahead of you. Yeah, it's like... Sixers, Lakers, Pistons for a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, there was even some Bucks history there that's been revisited too. So yeah, yeah, the Knicks aren't even in the top four. So yeah, cool thing that the Knicks are at least relevant. And the thing is, they have a lot of assets, and they're sitting there. They they have the ability to make one more trade. The Tibbs thing, which looked pretty shaky there, at least uh, around Christmas, where it looked like they were going to have to separate from him. Now this is the kind of team I think he wants to coach where it's, you know, a lot of scrappy guys, 
some weird ISO stuff that actually works. And uh, I don't know. Congrats to the Knicks fans. Yeah. So since this win streak going into tonight, uh, they're the number one offense. They're the number nine defense. They're the best rebounding team. And their true shooting percentage is, is fourth. So it's hard to find much that they're doing wrong during this. And, uh, you know, Brunson's been incredible. And the funniest thing is like for the longest time, you're watching Mitchell doing what he's doing with Cleveland. And you're like, okay, you know, that's where you, you give up the extra pick. Like you keep waiting around for the right guy. And the yeah. argument I had heard where the Knicks were split on it was like, let's not use our assets and we'll wait to get the next guy. It's like, we'll get the first guy before Indeed. you get the next guy. And the first guy ended up being Brunson, who, you know, just I didn't care about the contract. It was just this guy's way beyond, you know, we all knew he was good, but damn. And then Randall's back. And it's funny to see him with these isolation things that everybody likes. They hated him last year. And it's the same number of isolation possessions per game because it yeah. got really. I mean, remember how bad the Randall thing was like at home games? It was really nasty. It would like look like he had to be out of there. And then it almost looked like it was a bad contract. And hell, I mean, he could have been more expensive, but he took the earlier extension to it all. But when I look at what they've done with quickly, and this is with Barrett, I mean, think about RJ Barrett, who's been an afterthought now. We've talked about it a lot about how Tibbs has decided to go with other guys and the heart thing was going to make it even harder to find him closing yeah. minutes. And yet you have somebody who can come in and, and create enough to get 30 and double overtime on the road. I, that's you know, it's, it'd be quite, it'd be, it would be really crazy despite me thinking they were wrong for not doing the Mitchell deal, which I'm still kind of at, like, I'm not going to freak out because of two weeks here, uh, because of how special Mitchell is. I mean, we're talking about somebody that's arguably always in that top 15 argument here for his prime years. What if like not giving up quickly ends up being the best thing ever? I mean, that's quickly has been on a tear now too. I mean, like he's averaging yeah. like 16 a game. So tonight's a whole nother orbit for him, but he's been making his shots and it also speaks to like, you know, Bridges getting the chance to be the first option and seeing what he's doing. You know, it's how talented this league is. As Brunson's out, quickly runs the show and does what he did tonight. And there's zero doubt with that guy. Zero. Hart, I've always liked. I've always yeah. kind of wanted to see him on the right team. And he makes so much sense as a Nick for some reason. Um, the Randall thing is funny because he was one of those guys that you just, if he took a three, you kind of wanted him to. And now it at least seems like it's going in. But when that three went in the Miami game, that's the kind of shit that happens when it's kind of your year, your hat, when something's going on. That possession against Miami was horrible. Loses the ball, picks it up, then immediately has to lunge for going to the right, a lefty fallaway shot just to get it off. Those shots never go in. Like one out of 20 times a shot like that goes in and that went in. And that's what makes you think like, oh, something's happening with this team. So something's happened with them. I'm not sure what the hell has happened with the Celtics, but we did this last year when we started looking at these stat muse, you can put in any record and just look at all the records, you know, and that December 1st thing where they have the fourth best record. We were doing this last year with Dallas, remember? Like, look at those num Dallas numbers since it was like December 1st or December 10th. Well, their like, defense was incredible. Yeah, third best team in the league. And then it was like, oh, for three straight months, they've been, well, what does this mean? And then all of a sudden they're in the Western finals. So I don't think it's nothing. I do feel like sustained, you, th you throw away the first two months, they barely have training camp, the guys, they're resting, all that stuff. The lineups are so different because there's so many, there's so much uh, roster changes now with these different teams. But by December 1st, you kind of know who you have. And I don't know. I think it's a good sample size. Like right now, the four best teams since December 1st, Denver 31 and 12, 
Philly 29 and 12, Milwaukee 30 and 13. And then the Knicks at 29 and 15. And those seem like the right four. Those have been the four teams that have been playing the best for the last couple of months, I think. Sarudi chimed in here. He said from FanDuel, quickly, he's the odds to win NBA six man of the year. Start of March, it was plus 3,200 before tonight because he's been on the shooting tear too, but it was still like 16 a game before tonight. It was plus 220. Uh, that jumped from before tonight, plus 220 to now plus 135. And Brogdon not playing for a couple games. That hasn't helped either. Um, all right, let's move to the Philly-Milwaukee game because I thought that was another one. We try not to overreact in March because the playoffs are still 20 games away. We don't know. I thought that was an incredibly important win for Philly. Like it actually, I, I wasn't quite shoveling dirt on them, but I was not taking them seriously because it just seemed like against good teams, they couldn't get their shit together. There are certain ways to play them. Harden was fantastic, especially in the fourth quarter. Like that was his best game in a while. And they really took it to Milwaukee. Milwaukee had their full team, 16 in a row, ABC game. They had a lead in the fourth quarter and then Philly scores 48 points. Is it weird to say I, I like the matchup in that series for Philly a little bit? I don't know why. Just like I don't like them against Boston. So I think Boston has great matchups all over the place against them. It could go small. But against Milwaukee, I, I felt like they were playing the style they wanted to play. And I thought Giannis was playing well and it didn't matter and Philly still beat him. So what did you take away from that game? I can't believe Milwaukee lost it. I thought it was playing out as a classic Philly game. It's been a weird Philly week. It's been a bad one. I mean, they were in it with Boston a week ago. Tatum hits the last second shot, okay? Um, they lose to Miami with Embiid, and then yeah. they smash Miami without him, which, whatever, it just happens. And then the Dallas game was like, you had the tweet. That was Philly 101. Yeah. Because you're just like, they were on brand. You're like, this isn't. This isn't going to work out. So then Grayson Allen goes fucking bananas in the third quarter. Milwaukee's got the lead. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't put you in this group. So I think it's the best win of Philly season. I really do. Because uh, I think the matchup thing that you're on, it's, it's all about Embiid. You know, nobody's stopping Giannis. You know, whenever we look at these defensive matchups and whatever, and you're like, oh, can you slow this guy down? It's like, all oh, these guys get 30. In the <laughs> like, they're all going to, like, a bad night for him's 20. And Bede's at least going to make Giannis feel him in a way no one else in the East can. And there were four possessions. I mean, Giannis still went off. And the thing I love about Giannis is that he wants to attack Embiid. You know, I think it might yeah. be something if they face each other in the playoffs where it would be like, let me get switched on to him and try to get him in some foul trouble here and make him work. But on the other side, Giannis has to feel Embiid in a way that nobody else has that kind of physical presence with the athleticism on top of everything else. Like they, they tried to throw a lob to him. Embiid got in there. There was a short, like deep seal where he just tortures teams with that deep, deep catch. And he just turns around and just, you know, finger rolls it in. And it's like, you got, you're helpless. He tried to do it against Embiid. Didn't happen. He tried to hit a jump hook on him. So even though Giannis's numbers are terrific and he went on this like single handed scoring run. It's about like making a guy feel you and Philly can do that with him. And I don't really know. I mean, there's certainly not someone in Boston that can, uh, you know, Cleveland in theory has big guys, but they're not, they're not stout enough. So it was, well, there's one other piece. There's one other piece with the Milwaukee is not, I wouldn't say they're a fast paced team, right? They're like a playoff team. They're a little methodical, a certain pace to them. 
which is really helpful to Philly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's what Philly wants to I do. Don't, Philly doesn't want to run. They don't want to get back on defense. And the slower it goes for them, the happier they are. If I'm Milwaukee, I'm a little alarmed that Giannis and Lopez and Holiday all had good games and we still blew the game. And then the other thing I'd be alarmed, and this is something the Philly fans have been talking about, back to uh, coaches. You know, Tucker is a little like the, like Grant Williams with Missoula, where Tucker, you just trust him. You know what he is. You have him out there. You know exactly what he's going to do. There's no variance, right? He's just might make a three in the corner. He's going to play good defense, whatever. And coaches get used to that. Same thing for what Harris was for them. As soon as those guys went out, it, it kind of opened up Philly to try some stuff. Like, I like Niang. I I think he's a good shooter. I, I think he's not scared when he's out there, too. Um, he was forced to play Paul Reed, only played nine minutes, but was really good in the nine minutes. The Philly fans have been calling for that for a year. But in general, it, it seemed like it opened up Max a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I just, I like how they look when they're spread out with Embiid. And I think he's kind of afraid to do that. He's so, you know, kind of that, oh, Harris and PJ, those are our guys. But I don't think they're going to win four straight rounds with PJ Tucker playing 35 minutes a game, in my opinion. They need a little more variance. And um, to me, the key is like, how can we get different kinds of lineups? And then how can we unleash Maxi? Because whatever ceiling they have, Maxi is the guy that's going to create the ceiling, I think. Because he's a 20 points a game guy who was getting worse as the season was going along. So I hope they learned. If you're a Philly fan, you're hoping they learn lessons from that. The big thing for me was how how good Harden was in that game. Like but he, he kind of was Drew on him. Not, no, but not that, in the fourth quarter. I in mean. the fourth quarter, he was incredible. He was unbelievable. It was like, it was like a weird game because he was nine of twenty four before he started cooking. And but he he cooked he cooked Holiday and he cooked Middleton and Giannis was guarding him at one point. I was shocked by that. You know what's really funny too is that as that game because I was like, all right, is there a perception changing part of you? Like you know, any two of these games that we're watching where it's potential playoff matchups. You're like, is there anything that's going to happen that's going to like change your mind about some stuff, right? And I, I think the Knicks, to our earlier point, is is forcing us to ask ourselves those questions. And yet here's Philly where, you know, Niang hadn't made a shot forever, it felt like. And then yeah. he, had, he hit, what, four threes in the third? But again, like Grayson Allen went for 20 in the third. So you can play that game being like, well, that won't happen again. And then you could also say, well, Giannis is going to make every single free throw in a game again unless it's an elimination game in the finals. Um, but I, I like your Harris point, you know, because as talented as he is and whatever, like my joke is like I forget about him in the fourth quarter all the time. And some of it's by design because they're just running that MB Harden side pick and roll action over and over and over again. Yeah. I think your point about pace is perfect because they're a matchup. I mean, this is the slowest pace that Harden's played at since his last year in Oklahoma City. I mean, that's a really long time. But, you know, Harden shooting it better than he had the last previous seasons but he's actually driving it less. Like it's been in decline now, I think for five straight seasons, like one year he led the league and drives at almost 20 drives per game. And now he's worked his way down five straight years, like 13 and a half. So, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a weird week because when Philly, like when they were down and it Harden almost turned it over and I was like, Oh, here we go. Late turnovers between Harden and beat again. And then Embiid got it back. And Harden hit the earlier three. And then Embiid looked like he didn't really want to shoot it. And then and he shot it anyway. Then he got yeah. it back. And it was like he hadn't didn't have a choice. And then, you know, that's probably the biggest shot he's hit all season. So I thought it was the best win for them. It was great. But 
it doesn't really make me write off Milwaukee. Because I'll ask you this, like, is Milwaukee all of a sudden going to go from what's up with their depth to having real options? I'm Terry. I think they're the best team. It gun to my head, that's still the team I'm picking. I did not really understand the Dragic signing because I, I just don't think he's been any sort of relevant for two years now. And I think that's just another guy who's wondering why he's not playing. I like their team. I didn't really think they had to do anything. Um, I'm all in on them. The way Lopez is playing, the, the question for me, and we were going to, I was going to do this a little later with you of uh, one thing that scares you about each contender, but I just don't like the way, you know, Middleton doesn't make threes anymore. And you could say, ah, oh, it's a small sample size he's made him in the past, but he's just not shooting well. And I don't know how many games before you get worried about that because he's played, I think, like 20, 20 plus. I don't feel like his threes are going to go in when I watch them. I don't know, maybe he doesn't have the lift yet or what's going on, but um, but when he's out there, it seems like teams kind of want him to shoot the three. You notice that? Yeah, because I think Drew's been on such a tear and then Lopez spreads you out. I mean, it can do some really weird stuff to you. I mean, you're right, though. It's weird. Like, Lopez has this incredible game and you go... He's awesome. Oh. Uh, here's what I'd say about Middleton, and I don't think many people are going to agree with me. I've been watching it, too, and it hasn't looked great. And I know his number sucked in the Philly game. I thought it was the best he was moving that I'd seen. Hmm. So I'll keep paying attention to it. So I it's too, at yeah, it. it's too early. It's been twenty but, something games. But I would agree. Like there were times earlier on his comeback here, I was like, oh man. But okay, whatever. I mean, Jamal Murray didn't look great when he first came back. Clay's had moments where he didn't look great, and then you look at what Clay's done scoring wise the last few months. You're like, okay, you know, he might not ever be back back to what he was defensively, where he was locking down quick guards, but. um it takes time, and I actually thought there were some positive physical signs, at least. It was something just I noticed, but you know, maybe I was lying to myself a little bit there. But yeah, at, to this point, it hasn't been what you'd expect. But then when you think of Ingles, you think of Portis, you go Jay Crowder. Like, granted, some guys were hurt, some guys were in and out. But yeah. I think Milwaukee's kind of sneaky added all this depth, although contenders during buyouts is like kids at last call. You know, like you just are freaking out going, like, how many things can I get my hands on? Patrick Beverly, we got him. One last thing on Harris. He's 15 and six basically this year. The shooting percentages are good, but I do wonder like what their best five is and if the ceiling of that team is even a little higher than they've shown. But you think they've had one of the best four records in the league the last three months that we've mentioned. I had some Harden stuff for you really quick. I was looking at his career, which is very strange because you have the OKC Harden and then you have... He started seven games. I mean, like, I, every time I yeah. look back at his numbers, because I was looking at the drive and the pace stuff today, he started seven games in three seasons. This yeah, guy. and it was like, this. his ceiling is he might be the next man in Ginobili. I remember even writing that. This could be Ginobili 2.0. Then he goes to Houston. In those first four years, he's 28, 8, and 6. 44, 36, 86 shooting. Um, then he has that run when... Um, when he just goes nuts from 17 to 20, 32, nine and seven, basically the same shooting percentages, but goes up to 21.4 field goal attempts, 10.9 free throw attempts. Now he's morphed into this other version of Harden, the slower, you mentioned how it's a little tougher for him to get by people, finish the traffic, stuff like that. 23 a game, 10 and a half assists a game and seven, seven rebounds a game. This is like almost three years now. The shooting percentages are exactly the same. And the field goals are down almost six compared to that four-year peak. 
and the free throws are down to seven and a half. But in general, statistically, he's really close to the other stuff. It's just he shoots less. But the eye test doesn't follow that at all. To me, he looks like a completely different guy. But the percentages are all the same for basically 12 years. Just the frequency of how much he's shooting, I guess, has changed. I just thought that was bizarre. I would have thought something had gone down other than just attempts. Well, the shooting had gone down in a couple of the most previous spots. Uh, and I thought he was like hunting for threes so much or hunting for fouls on the threes. It was actually shooting. His his shooting was off. His percentages were off. And that would back it up. But his shooting percentage is back up now. I think he's third in assist or, you know, at times he's been first in assist. And that's, you know, the best part of it. The, the problem will be <laughs> in the playoffs. <laughs> Which problem? It, well, it's not even his his history of these flame out games. We've all been over because I like I don't yeah I don't want to be negative about him right now because that was an awesome awesome win. It's just the moments where it's like when you're not in the play you don't do anything. And I think in a playoff series when you get a little bit more comfortable with it and you start realizing you can cheat away from him or once he's not in the play like he's never going to move. He's never sent screens. He's never doing any of that kind of stuff. That that I mean it's just not the way you would want to play basketball. And you know that's been part of the problem. So. Uh, awesome game and the shooting is back and the passing for him has always been incredible. And now that he's really having to choreograph more of this stuff, like the skill set was always there. So this transition for him, you know, even though he's not that anymore, I mean, you know, that was, those were absurd, absurd numbers. Um, I think his passing keeps him as a really, really dangerous player. And the fact that the three point shooting is back up after kind of hovering around the low thirties there. Can I give you this one? I, this is the most fun version of Harden for me. I couldn't stand watching the 2017 to 20 had the ball at the time, you know, mono basketball version. This per, this version actually seems like he'd be relatively fun to play with, right? If you're going to give me the three different eras of Harden, like the first three, first four Rockets years, the peak Rocket years, the next four, and then these last three, I think this is probably my favorite version of him. Yeah, I don't Older. have a favorite version. <laughs> I should I should have known. I should have guessed it. His playoff stats uh not as good as the regular season stats. We'll see. It, he's only year 14 and it does feel like there's a little bit of an end game to this Philly thing because that Harden Houston, that athletic story I thought was one of the most bizarre stories of the year. This long story about the bond between Harden and the Rockets and how they the owner said you whatever, you'll be back. And that just, all, it was like, why is anybody writing the stories on Philadelphia? I would have been mad if I was a Philadelphia fan because it just felt like there were a lot of breadcrumbs being dropped. And then in the whisper circles, everybody seems to think he's going back to Houston. So I don't know, does that add urgency to this or is that just where we're going? But I think the Houston part is just bizarre. Really since Christmas, Woj dropped that thing on Christmas and it's like, where's this coming from? I'm about to watch five Christmas games. And now it seems like a foregone conclusion. If you talk to anyone around the league, they're like, yeah, Harden's going to Houston. And it reminds me a lot of that LeBron Lakers year, a year before LeBron went to Lakers when everybody was like, yeah, LeBron's going to the Lakers. I don't know what to make of it. What do you make of it? Uh, well, it's definitely out there, you know, and I know there's it's plenty of stuff that's out, out there. there. Yeah, right. It, there's stuff that's out there. And you're like, hey, remember when that was out there and then it didn't happen and everybody was convinced it's happened? I mean, there's been a ton of those things. And Paul there's George also been a lot of the Lakers is a good one. Yeah, but there's also like a lot of things you're like, yeah, everybody knew that was going to happen. And then it does happen. 
So um, I, I think my favorite part of the story is that as soon as he did the pay cut and the two-year deal with the opt-out, people were like, are the Sixers going to get investigated? <laughs> right. All right. That was like, everybody was okay just saying that. And then Hart <laughs> actually had a quote where he was like, I don't get enough credit for taking the pay cut, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. Yeah. I love and then that it's too. like, if he opts out and goes back to Houston, two things can happen. People can take back suggesting that Philly should have been investigated because that contract and Harden also then doesn't get credit for taking the pay cut when he opted out a year later to leave a winning situation to go to Houston. Um, and if I'm Jalen Green, I am praying he doesn't sign with the Rockets. Well, the story was March 1st. The headline was James Harden, comma, the Houston Rockets and an undeniable bond that refuses to go away. I'm sorry, was I in a coma or was I actually alive during that stretch when he just stopped playing hard in Rockets games and basically put a gun to their head to to trade him? Did that not happen or did I imagine that? So Favorite. why is there an undeniable bond that refuses to go away? I'm just, the NBA is just drunk all the time. I'm confused by it constantly. I don't get it. We'd always heard like he wanted out of there. He was tired of the owners. Get me the, and now there's rumors he's coming back. So go figure. What a weird league. Um, speaking of weird leagues, we got to talk about John Morant, but let's take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Peloton Spring the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're, just, you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside. Do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, Full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. All right, so the biggest story of the weekend, which somehow we didn't get to until the 40-plus minute part of this podcast, was John Morant. Seems like he got suspended by the Grizzlies. Um, I don't know where Adam Silver was in the whole thing. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, a series of incidents added up and he had to leave the team. And on the one hand, people are talking about this gravely, like this is like a behind the music special and, and we're in the last 20 minutes of it. And 
you know, this is headed a certain way. Or you could look at it and say, he's a 23-year-old kid. He's made a couple of mistakes. I was 23 once. I made mistakes. You were 23 once. You made mistakes. And maybe three, maybe three weeks from now, Jaws fine. And this was a blip. And we all just move on. But it's definitely something. And I think I was talking to Van Lathan about it today. And he was saying, one of the things he noticed, which I thought was a really good point, was how much people love Ja. And if this was like most athletes, you'd be like, oh man, what the fuck is that guy doing? But this one, there's a bond with him. I think people just like the guy. He was being positioned as like possibly being like the next guy. He was one of the most popular selling jerseys. He was the most searched social media guy last year or the most impressions, whatever the F. Um, he was just being positioned a certain way. And now it seems like people are watching this one wondering, all right, is he going to get his shit together? And then the other, man, this would suck if he didn't get his shit together. So it's a really unique situation. And I, I can't remember it that many times in my life as a sports fan. I don't know what's going on with the dude. And I don't know if this stuff is a little overblown, a couple of mistakes, or if there's something way more serious going on, but it's a bummer. And I hope he figures it out. And I have no idea if he's going to figure it out. We might look at this three weeks from now and be like, ah, oh, remember that Ja thing? That was weird. It's fine now. They just won eight straight. I don't know. What was your take listening to everything this weekend? I think I was just a little surprised because it all kind of came together really quickly. Because if you go to the timeline, it was this Pacers incident where it was him and some of his guys like threatened somebody. And then apparently there was like a, a red dot target on somebody, but the NBA investigated it and there was no actual proof of any gun or anything like that. So you're yeah. like, okay, that's sort of weird. But then what happens is then when one thing pops off then it kind of opens up some other stuff, it's like, Hey, did you guys know back in July, he had this party at his house and they were playing pickup hoops. And again, it kind of got reported that he beat up a kid, but then even though, you know, everything was alleged. Guy, yeah, it's all alleged. And the guy was 17 and then there was supposedly a gun accusation there, but then they couldn't prove it. So then there was no charges. Then there was all sorts of stuff happening, like on some of the local media stuff where it was like serious PR spin for Jaw. So I didn't really know what to believe. I'm not dismissing it, but I'm not going to repeat any of it because I have no idea if it was true or not. Everything was debunkable. Right. And then they had the mall incident where apparently his mom was at finish line at the mall in Memphis. And then she called job because she said somebody was messing with her and he showed up nine deep. It's always tough when you show up someplace and be like, can I be a plus nine? <laughs> and um, then it escalated out in the parking lot and somebody said, I'm going to wait until you get off. I mean, and then you had this this picture with him where the timeline of like where he would have to travel to then also post this IG video allegedly with a gun. Uh, it all kind of happened really quickly. And I think back to your point and back to Vance's point is that you're like, wait, I thought we all like loved this dude. Like I thought he was like the perfect guy to lead this Memphis franchise that has such a different vibe about it that I think all of us are like, we all really like it. Like, I know I kind of went off last year during the playoffs at Golden State because it can feel a little too soon, but I'd rather you be brash than apologetic. You know, I'd rather you feel like you belong instead of thinking that you don't, especially in basketball. And then where it's, he's so much fun. And then Nike's going to be thinking like, we went all in on this dude. We're giving him a signature shoe. That, that's a, that's a group of like five guys, man, that are at yeah. that level. So you're thinking everything's working out because even during this rebuild and that they haven't gone far enough in playoffs, like it's still very early for them. Most of the people don't have playoff success until you're like 26 or 27 anyway. So, you know, he could he could pop off. They've had some comments. They had some stuff with Golden State that I didn't always love, but none of it really fucking mattered. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if, you know, there's plenty of dudes that are out there that are tricking us all the time. 
Uh, then there's the element of where it turns into, well, it's just the wrong crew. He's going he's gonna to stop hanging out with the wrong guys. You know, maybe that's totally true. There's also times when you're the worst guy <laughs> in the crew. You know, like, hey, you know, what happened? Oh, I was, this guy was there. And you know what happens when Steve shows up? And then, on, on, you know, and then eventually it's like, <laughs> no, dude, you notice the common denominator is that it's you every time. This so, is the speech I give to nephew Kyle, like once a month. Um, the, the, uh, the thing with the, I thought Jalen made a really good point last night when he was like, ultimately you can blame the crew, can do the whole thing, but ultimately he's the one who picks the crew and he's the leader of the crew and they're all going to follow his lead. So what the, the whole, oh, he's got to change his crew. I, yeah. I and who else in the crew has a, who else in the crew has a max deal and a signature shoe with Nike? Right. This isn't, you know, like a 90210 episode where somebody shows up and teaches Steve Sanders how to smoke. Like, you know, like Chaz is an adult. He's a professional athlete. Um, he's also 23. And I think, you know, I'm always, I'm always prone to thinking people are allowed to make dumb choices. The IG video was an especially really stupid choice. And I, I that's where when you read this stuff today where it's like, I'm going to take some time, I'm going to regroup. Like, it's like, yeah, you probably should. Cause that is really weird. That almost seems like self-destructive that it did that. But I, but I think that's uh, the point, like, right. Like, I don't know. I have no idea. So I'm not even really going to bash him. I, you know, like, and again, I'm not a huge moralist when any of this stuff happens. It's not really my deal. Um, maybe I'm wrong for not being more upset about it. I guess I'm just so confused. I'm not upset either. I just think it's, it's really weird where this seemed pretty abrupt where we, this Grizzlies were this young, lovable team and he was the most young, lovable star in the league. And then you think like, like just think about wh who was the league being handed off to? You know, and you think the the best American players right now, the most famous ones, the most successful ones are LeBron and Steph, right? LeBron, year 20, Steph's 34. You think of that next generation of guys, all of them are, it's Giannis, it's Embiid, um, it's Luka, Luka Jokic. it's Jokic. Those are four of the five best players in the league right now. And then the American guys under 28, the, the guys that would be, you know, perennially, those are the guys you put in the face. Those are the guys who are going to sell the most jerseys here for whatever reason. You can analyze that all you want. Um, but it's, it's Tatum and it's Ja. Booker. Zion probably moves a lot of product, but. You know, but Zion, like we don't, I don't trust Zion to be the face of the league. He can't stay on the court. Right. I agree and, with you. I'm just, you know, yeah. Talking. yeah. And then, then you get into like Mitchell and Halliburton and Bam and Garland and you get triple J and Mobley, like Anthony Edwards, maybe a couple years away, but it is a weird time for the league because the LeBron thing, he can't, he just can't play more than 50 games a year anymore. Curry's hitting, a, you know, he's going to be in his, he's going to be 35 this year. Who is the next guy? Who's the next American super duper star? I would have bet on Ja. He would have been my number one pick. And I think this is why this is a bigger story than maybe, you know, it usually would have been if it was just typical athlete just kind of going off the rails a tiny bit. Can I add one thing here too? Because I can't help myself. Um, yeah. When I see people posting like this, John needs to do this. John needs to do that. Whether it's a video or it's a tweet, you're not even doing that for Ja. You're doing that for yourself. Performance art, right? Like, how can I look good in this moment? Yeah, I mean, you can pretend you care, and maybe you you kind of do, but 
when I see that in our business, I'm like, yeah, you're actually doing this for the retweets. Agree. One basketball point with this jaw situation. The Grizzlies were like a legitimate contender to win the title. I think until the Phoenix trade, I think you would have said they were the second best team in the West and the second most likely team. They're really good at home. Um, I was interested to see what they're going to do in the trade deadline. They were in the mix for Ananobi at one point. It's really unusual for a player's off-court stuff to derail a contender. And it's too early to say whether this will happen with, with John Memphis, but I was looking back over history. It's not a lot of examples. Like you think in 2016, Blake punched the team manager, right? Remember that Clipper season when him and DeAndre Jordan and the team manager were out, I don't know, dinner drinking and Blake punched him and broke his hand. Clippers won like 53 games. That was a pretty significant injury. They were probably the third best team in the West and a losing in round one. Kyrie last year, I, I mean, I, it's hard to compare. It's apples and oranges, but it was a player's behavior kind of sinking a team. I don't know if they had title contender status. Simmons and the 2021 Sixers, I don't know if they had title contender status. You going back to like Dwight on 2011 Magic, I don't know if that team was going to beat the Heat in a series. Uh, Kobe, all his off-court stuff in 2004 with that Lakers team, I still think the Pistons would have beaten them. Our test in the melee in 2005 when Indy was the best team, that fight happens, that's an on-court incident. Rodman going back to 1995, that when he just kind of unraveled in that Spurs series, all this stuff is like on the court or related to things on the court. This one where you have your best player and the, and the signature guy in your franchise and he's unraveled to the point that he's like, I need to, to take some time to get my shit together. Like this is about as unusual as we've seen for a contender. I felt like I was hanging on to Memphis longer than everybody else was. I mean, they were 31 and 13 at one point. You know, and that was a lot of that work was done without Bane. And then you're like, all right, right. now you're going to get Bane back. I mean, the Steven Adams thing, you're going to be kidding me. Like, Steven Adams isn't this good. <laughs> okay. Right. He's a nice player. He's actually probably a matchup specific player in the playoffs, knowing how that all goes. Uh, I don't know if it speaks to, you know, you lose Adams, but you also lost Kyle Anderson. You also lost. Um, DeAnthony, who's just a really nice player, and I, I thought was really a good fit for them. So you add that all together, you know, maybe it speaks more to Memphis's building where we look at the roster, we're like look how talented they are, look how good they are late in the draft. But but when you start having to replace like multiple players that would play real minutes in a playoff series with some unproven guys that are more valuable because they're younger, but it's still a kind of an unknown. And then you add it all up together. You could also say that they just became a little too predictable. We know what they're going to run, but everybody knows what they're going to run. And Josh still fucking goes off. I mean, what he did against the Lakers just a week ago was insane. 28 points in the third quarter. So you could say you're ready for it. Um, there, See, that's why I go at the unwrap. The, I'm, I'm kind of prone to not thinking he's unraveling. See, I watched that Laker game and he was incredible. And it was like five days ago. You know, is he making bad choices? Maybe it's but. probably he's probably going to be fine. I mean, maybe That's this is just feeling. a quick little wake up call. It's a little blip. You know, the suspension thing's kind of silly. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. It sounds like I think a lot of times the league in sports in general, it'll be like you do it, where it's where it's on the team. But then when it turns into like I'm going to step away, like what are you going to do, like? what's really going to happen in two or three days. So 
I do uh, think it's interesting, though, that the league deferred to the Grizzlies on it. Because in the Stern era, there would have been no deferring. And he would have handled it, and he would have called Ja to his office, and he would have done the whole Stern thing. But I think the league, you know, the, the way the league operates now, they want to be friends with the players, and they want to be partners with the players, which has some benefits, but I think has a lot of weaknesses too. And I think we've seen a lot of them this season. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for Memphis. I'm rooting for the story. I, I want it to, to work out because all of us that are neutral just enjoy when Memphis is in the mix. Even if there are times where I haven't loved every part of it, but I, yeah, I hope it's a blip, man. I'm with you. I hope that's all this is. Quickly, let's do uh, our worries for each contender. You only have one or two words. So Memphis, I, I think we already know the worry. Um, Larry let's Hoover. Go, let's go rest of the West. Denver, your biggest concern for them winning the title, the thing that jumps to your mind first, one word or two word. One five. One five switches Jokic in a playoff series. Mine that's is about the only, that's about the only thing. Sorry, I interrupt you. Go no, ahead. no, that's a good one. I had Porter and here's why, even though I like Porter and I think he's made some big shots for them and I, I watch a lot of Nuggets games and I think when he's taking an open shot at the end of the game, I actually think it's going in. You know how sometimes with a basketball team, somebody on that team seems to just be way too involved in the biggest play of the game. And sometimes that's not the best guy in the team for whatever reason. It just seems like Porter, when they're in a playoff series, I just have this feeling it's going to come down to whether he makes like two shots in the corner against like the Suns or whatever. I think he's their swing guy. Some teams just have the swing guys and it's not necessarily the best guy, but I think he's their swing guy. You think of Mario Eli on the Rockets that year where for whatever reason, it was like he made a couple of big shots and was one of the reasons they won the title. I've, Porter's just that guy for them. And I don't know if I trust him. It's great. It's a great observation. Thank um, you. Because you're right. There's so there's there's no debate on it. And, and you like you it know, more than me. Uh I'm very enamored with that size, being able to make those kinds of shots. But you know, me I had too. TJ Car Carlissimo on recently, and I mean you want to talk like old school coach, like his frustration just even thinking about him wasn't even what he said and in the beginning he was a mess and I actually yeah. think Malone was so annoyed with him and again this goes back to the beginning of his career where they had times where they had injuries where you're like dude I don't care if he makes every defensive mistake like you have no one to score get him out there and Malone just couldn't give him the minutes he couldn't reward him with the minutes because he was so bad on not understanding what he was supposed to be doing defensively it's not like that anymore but I would agree with PJ and you on the concern that you just feel like there's a processing with him in a big spot where if you had to bet on it, you'd be like, look, when he doesn't have to think about it and he's just going out there and making shots against guys, it's absurd. And I think there's always an injury thing there with him too, which goes back to why he was drafted where he was drafted. Who do you have for Golden State? Um... Parade. What's that? I mean? wonder if they're all back and ready to go. And, you know, whatever. I, they lost the Lakers today. They had nothing for Anthony Davis. Uh, they even played Iguodala, who it was funny because on the call, they were like, that's his fifth three point attempt of the season. I was like, it sure looked like it. 
but it's a break. you know, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, let's see him play for a couple of weeks here before we try to make some sort of statement on Andre Iguodala. I wonder if emotionally they can be up to the task considering what that title meant for them last year. After all the uncertainty, the injuries, Durant moving on, wondering if it was actually over, over, and them having that. I don't know if they can reach that same emotional desire uh, knowing that they just did it. I'm not writing them off, though, because I just think it's stupid. I, you know, When they were losing, they had a really good week until the loss today. They were losing these other games and the road stuff. It's like, look, you know, how do we judge any of these teams until we have have all their guys out there? So uh, I'm not writing them off. I just don't know if they can. It wouldn't be anything you could even tell. Until, it would be the kind of thing you do years later. We are like, hey, what happened that year? And they would say, you know what? It was like the year we from ju- hell. We just, we didn't, considering we had won it the year before, the drive to finish wasn't the same. And it was there was like nothing we could do about it. Yeah, I want to watch him for a week with Wiggins before I get... He's been out eight straight, too. Yeah, that's the thing. It is interesting, though. Last year, they were first in defensive rating. First. Wow, it's a joke this year. Yeah. 13th. I'm surprised it's Um, that high. The 7-24 and on the road is absolutely alarming. (laughs) I wrote down 2,022 bucks where the Bucks had that kind of championship residue and they could look like dog shit for 45... I'm talking about Tampa Bay. Um, they look like dog shit for three quarters and then they could kind of slap together 17 oh. points in the fourth quarter and they won like five games that way. And it's like, oh, the Bucks, watch out for them. And even in the playoffs, they were, what, two and a half point underdogs to Dallas. It's like, oh, you don't want to let them in the playoffs. And then they just got the living shit kicked out of them because they had so many holes. It was an awful matchup for them, too. It was like, hey, wait, matchup, like but- the best. Uh, I don't think they're nearly as bad as the Bucks thing. And even with the defensive and the road numbers, I don't know what any of those numbers mean. I mean, if if their five guys are ready to go with Poole and Clay keeps playing this way, I, you know, I just saw stuff, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago, I felt like I was seeing stuff where people were just writing them off. I'm like, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but- Talent-wise, talent I'm not comparing the Bucks. I'm just like the signs of all right, this keeps happening and we keep writing it off because they're champions. And then all of a sudden they're down getting crushed, you know, in the playoffs. They're like, oh, we should have known. That is the part that worries me. But I want to see hey, can, the can I ask you a question? We'll see if Peyton can, can come back to. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, the Wiseman thing was a tough decision for them to make. I know some people don't think it is, whatever. Well, it's also uh, $100 million next year. Yeah, but then they spent the money in Peyton. So... Right. You know, so I think they're like, if we're spending $100 billion, let's get somebody that we know can play for us. Yeah, I don't think Kerr just couldn't find a minute. So they were like, all right, well, if we, we can't find, find this guy minutes now, like, you know, then we can't make a financial decision on him moving forward. I wonder if, you know, who knows? I, depending on if it's an early exit, it's super disappointing. If it's a nice little reminder and they go on a nice run, you know, I don't know. The championship seems a little lofty at this point. I wonder if they would go, okay, Kaminga probably at this point, even though he has those moments where you and I both are like, ooh, mm. you know, how often is that the lie that we tell ourselves about a player, though? When it's like, yeah, but did you see that player? You know, I loved when Kaminga would would guard Doncic or would guard Ja, and I was like, look how motivated he is, and look at that drive, and then there's all these other times you're like, I don't even notice him. I wonder if they would just try to pool everything again and go, is the next mad guy want to come play with, with with Golden State. I wonder if that would be something they would do in the offseason. You know, a Wiggins deal or a pool. Like or, Wiggins you know, and Kaminga for some star. 
Right. And they've got the yeah. dream on thing. They throw in the three unprotected and a swap and say, let's try to add a big piece here and take one more swing at it instead of just running it back. Because the the championship aspirations while rebuilding with the three lottery picks has not worked. And it's very, very hard to do. And that actual assets of those three guys declined. Right. And they end up selling low. Kaminga, I don't think, is worth as much as he was before the season. And and Moody definitely isn't. So who do you have for... Uh... Oh, I had one more thing for them. Okay. Off your point. The got-too-cute syndrome. When teams sometimes, they don't just try to... Uh... They don't just try to do the smart move. There's like a degree of difficulty to it, right? So they were very excited about we have this contender and we're also developing these young guys, which I thought was smart, but they were really excited about it. And now you look back and it's second guessing hindsight, 2020, all the cliches, but I wonder like if they had packaged some of that stuff together, what could they have gotten? They I'm not even second guessing it. Moving all right. in. Uh, I'm not second guessing it. I like what they tried to do. It didn't work. Right. But I think, I wonder if they got too cute with their assessments of their own guys. Well, when you draft a player, you usually really like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're watching them practice for two years. Like at some point, you know, at some point. My broker, my broker, going, hmm. he called me the other day. He goes, you have an E-Trade account with a bunch of Wiseman? <laughs> what are you doing? He goes, do you still have it? I thought, I thought we talked about that. Um, what do you have for the Lakers? What's your one word for them? I thought we were doing contenders. Well, not writing them off yet. Anyone in the West could win two rounds. Not writing off any team. Uh, I just had health for them. I think LeBron, I, I just, you know, he's it sucks. 60, I want to see him out there. On him. Dude, you know how good Austin Reeves was today? My God, he was good. I don't know about some of those lineups Darvin was running out there. And then as soon as I did my Anthony Davis video after that Memphis game, I think I even texted you. I go, I've defended Davis forever. Yeah, and I like I can't every time he falls down, I'm totally freaked out now. And I knew he was gonna go off as soon as I said it, but that wasn't the point that he was gonna have bad games from that video to the rest of his career. Um, but he was incredible. He's been he's been really nice the last couple of days. But he's the best uh, player in that Warriors game. He to me, it's like Rob Williams. It's just every game that he plays the whole game, you're relieved. We need to do that. Our first team all land bad. <laughs> Like as soon as this guy lands bad, you're like, oh no. I have health for them. Dallas, I think we would have the same defense. They can't get stops. And um, everybody in the league can score 125 points in them, I think, at this point. The Clippers, Um, you disagree on Dallas defense? Would you put something else? I guess we could put Kyrie there too. No, I would go, my two words would be Finney Smith. Hmm. I'm not saying they shouldn't do the trade. I'd also like to make a prediction now that I think Kyrie is going to get his four-year contract this summer. It's all going to work out for him. That's my prediction. Um, my team. Watch, all you need is one other team to threaten Dallas. And I think Dallas will say, hey, you know what? It went pretty well. We'll add some defense. And we already moved the assets. So we can't lose the can't that use those resources to, that to do nothing. To leaving. And then we've got the relationship with the GM and, and Kyrie with Nike, even though Ridiculous. I heard towards the end Kyrie wasn't exactly 
the most collaborative on some of the Nike stuff. Uh, watching Finney Smith in person, I fucking love that guy. I love him. He's not just a good defender. He's like nasty. He'll like hit you and fight a little bit more. Like, yeah. I don't know that I ever really realized it until, again, you're just going to learn stuff seeing it in person. Our seats were pretty good. Uh, can I ask you a, a Doncic question? Speaking yeah. of, if Doncic is on this Nets team right now, do they win the East? Just him and all these wings and Claxton? Yeah. They probably would be the second best team in the East. It's Denver and Milwaukee. Just flip him and Simmons. Because I'm always trying to figure out with perfect roster for Doncic. And when I watch the Nets, I go, because Bridges is still, I mean, he's been going off. And it's funny because like watching him hit all those mid-range jumpers against the Celtics, I'm like, he must have just watched Booker and Durant but never got to take him. I mean, look, he took some, but let's face it, with Bridges, when you're that option, and sometimes you're the fourth option, uh, excuse me, not from Durant, from Chris Paul and Booker, because obviously he was traded for Durant, but you get my point. Um, there's certain nights where he wouldn't score at all, and a lot of it would just have to be in transition and everything. He has that dribble into that shot against a contest, and he gets it off perfectly. He was great. And so it's not some super dominant, ISO-heavy opposite guard. It's actually an opposite guard who can defend as opposed to a Kyrie who you know is just going to get torch in some mismatches, even though I think there's certain nights actually Kyrie tries to play defense and it, it's better than his reputation where there's just, you know, we've seen swings with Kyrie when he's just not interested in it and he's an awful defensive player. But you have the Claxton role part of it where he's a really good defender and I think he competes like crazy. And then all those other wings that can shoot. I was like, maybe the Nets built the perfect Doncic spot, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was just so yeah. You don't want to put them ahead of Milwaukee. I don't blame you, but they might. That might be the second best team in the East, which is the better conference. You know what I noticed with Luca again today, which I've noticed a couple times when you think how, how young, fucking he is. annoying he is. Well, <laughs> this he's already developed the bully ball thing that LeBron didn't really have until like the mid two thousand tens where he just takes these guys down low and he commits offensive fouls and the refs never knows what to do. Like that play at the end that he missed the bunny on, it was 100% an offensive charge. He's so strong. These well, you know that's what Booker was doing. Him. The I know, game's Booker over. Booker's going, referee. he keeps going, that's a charge, that's a charge. And the Dodgers was like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. And then yeah. they got into it with each other. And I loved it. I loved it from Booker. Uh, I love I, I like that they don't Look, like each other. I... I say that about Doncic knowing, you know, look, I can't give you a bigger compliment than this. If there's one basket that need, I need a basket, I'm picking him first over every single player in the NBA. He is incredible. At one point again today, although I'd ask this about the injury stuff, how many games does he have where I'm like, oh, he's headed into the tunnel? And then he ends up with 40. So what yeah. the hell's going on there? Like, I thought he was wincing, and I was like, oh, the calf is messed up again. Um, he is so good where he's getting these foul calls now, too. He shot a million free throws today where he's initiating all the contact yeah. and they're giving him that call on top it's of like everything LeBron. else. It's like LeBron. I'm telling you, he, this is what LeBron figured out in the mid-2010s, how to bounce off guys, get the call, and finish the shot. But his his constant bitching for two and a half hours can really wear on you. Like, I don't enjoy it. He's a great villain. I think I wouldn't even more, call him that. I don't I don't like hate him. I, I respect him. No, I'm saying hell like he's a villain. Him, but, if you're if if you're rooting for the other team, he's a good guy yeah. to root against. Like I know the Phoenix Suns fans left that game like fuck that guy. Um Clippers continuity would be my word for them. Yeah, I have DNP. I just don't feel like they how many times have they played five guys in the fourth quarter that have been the same five guys? Now they're shoehorning the Russell thing in. 
I mean, on the one hand, they're they are own five with him playing tonight as we're taping. Can I say something pro Westbrook? They're going yeah. back now and putting together these five losses with what nine other losses with the Lakers or something to close his Lakers run. Yeah, I mean, come on, and that's even, not all even we wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't do that. Oh, that tells we, you as we're as we're taping, the Grizzlies are up one twenty one to one eleven on the uh, on the Clippers, so it could be a little over six. Um, going to the East, we mentioned Middleton would be the one word. I think for it's the one for me. Is that would you have a different word for Milwaukee? I had new depth, but we already touched on it. Okay, just watching we, watching that Dallas or excuse me the Philly game. I'm like, you know what? They actually have some options here. So go ahead, Boston Joe Maz. I just really worry about an inexperienced coach having to win four straight playoff rounds. I was getting texts. Your recorder stopped at one point, so we had like a delay, and I was getting multiple texts from people like, Tatum and Brown were gassed. Just call the timeout so they can get a three-minute blow, and then you send them back. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, too. I just don't like anything that happened tonight. Philly. You don't want my Boston one? You have a different one than Joe Maz? What is it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Supplemental tier. You know, like there's supplemental draft picks where it's like in between rounds. Yeah. I always feel like we talk about like championship players. There's really only a handful that you go, okay, we absolutely have a chance. And I know the Celtics felt like they were the better team last year. Uh, I didn't feel that way after the finals. I didn't feel like they they were the better team that lost to the inferior team in Golden State. No, Golden State was the best team. But the part of, you know, wondering where the hell's Tatum, like what's up with them? And then you're like, all right, it's first run in the finals. And then he came back this year and he was, he's been awesome. You know, I love the guy, but there's still always a, like a sliver of me that wonders if he's in, like, if you have to cut off the first tier of players who are like, this dude can do whatever he wants. I have moments where I'm like, I don't know that he's quite there. My defense or my counter, I think he's, I think he's a year or two away from being being whatever he's going to be. I still think he's a work in progress, as great as he's been this season. He's 25. And, Players, and honestly, the history like of the compar- league says I'm, you peak at 27. Yeah. So, uh, for Philly, I just wrote down small ball. I could see them losing a series to like four different East teams where the other team just goes small and pushes the pace and does weird matchup shit and weird coaching shit and beats them. What do you have? I was going to put down free throws because I think there'll be a weird playoff game where the crew just decides not to reward them with free throws. It's going to happen. Yeah. Because um, both guys initiate so much contact. There's a lot of people so doing this. Doc yeah. Rivers with his arms up. Yeah, we call that the Grant Williams. No, Grant does the the thingy. So what do Grant's, you have? Um, I was going to do the turnovers because the late turnover thing I've always been on. But I just it's two words. It's playoff hard. And and you know what? Like Paul George, who deserved to take all the shit that he took because it was a real thing. We were watching it happen. You know, I don't care about like I hate when people go back and look at averages of a guy in the playoffs like three years prior. We're like, oh, this guy was actually pretty good. Like Raptors fans used to try to ar- argue that Lowry and DeRozan were actually pretty good in those years. And you're like, are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, did we you watch there. those games? And you know, it'd be really late to kind of change uh, your story and. You know, that's always going to be part of it for me. I'm just going to wonder, you know, sometimes you have to adapt in a series. And I don't mm. I don't know that he does. So, I mean, until until it actually happens, I'll I'll always wonder if it will. 
quick tangent I thought of as you were talking. Who is the league leader this year for frantically doing the let's challenge that call to their coach followed by the eye roll from the coach who's like, we're not fucking challenging that. Well, if it's per 36, it's Grant. Yeah. Is LeBron have the most this year though? Yes. Yes. He has the most in street clothes. (laughs) LeBron just feel like he's got to do it once a half. Who else? He's just bored. He's he's not playing. LeBron and Grant are the bird of magic of waving for (laughs) that challenge. I don't know who else is on that list though. Uh, I they those are two that stand out. I mean, Grant does it so much, and, and you know, there's fans listening to this right now. They're thinking of your guy. Grant is on Rushmore if there was a landslide and the other three presidents' faces fell off. <laughs> uh, for the Knicks, I have ironically Randall because. He's good enough to probably make them a 50-win team this year and make them dangerous, but I also think he could shoot them out of any series. He would be the guy I worried about the most of that team. And then Robinson's free throw shooting, which is more than one word, but that him just being an absolute catastrophe at the free throw line will come back to haunt them at some point. I had third score, but boy, it doesn't feel like that's going to be an issue after watching quickly. Right. right. Yeah. Just because you would have thought that that's RJ, those closing minutes. Um. But if he stays big with Randall and Robinson, which he's not going to be able to do in the playoffs all the time, I wouldn't think. And then your Brunson and your quickly, like that fifth spot, like you go, you know, he's he's going to play Hart over RJ. So then, you know, prior to tonight, it's, it's tonight is not the night to wonder who the third score is going to be in a playoff series for the Knicks. But it was the thing I wrote down when I got this assignment earlier today. We're not doing any other teams. One more break and then one more, two more things to throw you and then we'll do... Uh, Nothing on Sacramento? You just didn't even, you put the Lakers in there over Sacramento? You already said they don't play defense. Can I add something to it? This yeah. is what's so, my, my two word phrase was going to be clutch offense. Their offense in the clutch is number one in the NBA and it is by miles. There are 129 points per 100 possessions in the clutch. It's an insane number. They're 11 points better than Brooklyn, who actually still ranks number two, which will probably change at some point. Uh, miles beyond everybody, but they're 26th on defense, and since February 1st, they're actually 28th. So, yeah, the defense is an issue. I'll tell you this much. If they can keep that three seed, and they're three above Phoenix in the last column right now, we're running out of games. They only have 19 games left. That's going to be an impossible place to play. I think that crowd impossible? will be, well, not impossible. You know what I mean? I love that the Timberwolves are a six seed. <laughs> yeah, but you know, did you see them this weekend? Th- there's flashes of like, oh my God, this could actually be a competent playoff team. Because Conley's starting to really ingratiate himself in the Conley way, in the good ways, right? Yeah, because so it didn't look very have, good. Like, it looked like he had fallen off a cliff there. Actually, he was he was he was leaking a little bit last year. Um, I have no, a lot invest. I have a lot invested in them kind of being steady the rest of the way, because um, forgotten in the Kendrick Perkins run this season was that he called the best backcourt. We well, said low key or sneaky best backcourt in the NBA was <laughs> was D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and oh. big Anthony Edwards fans. Uh, not so much with D'Angelo Russell. So you know when. Timberwolves fans are upset that I was so negative about Russell. And then I was like, yeah, okay. Then the team traded him like a week later. Um, yeah. I have I have 
a large position in them looking like a real basketball team because Russell put up great numbers, really good shooter, and it was all this stuff, but it was all the other things that that we've covered before. And then when you look at the standings, you're like, man, they're sitting there as a six seed. With a chance to climb. I mean, they have a chance to leapfrog the Warriors. They're getting a crazy Nas Reed bench season. There's game, Nas Reed is on the starting team of guys on league pass, so if you catch them on the right night, you wonder why they don't make $25 million a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh my God, this guy like the 11th best player in the league? What's that was like that on? Nemhart game against the Lakers right. when he hit the game winner. You're like, wait, this guy, was he picked sixth or seventh? Like, oh, they, somebody took Ivy ahead of this guy? Uh, and then Jaden McDaniels, when you look at some of those defensive numbers from him, yeah, he's been they're amazing. insane. You know, I wasn't on it. I, I got to admit, I couldn't watch Minnesota that much earlier in the year because I just, I couldn't watch Russell. I just... I just didn't enjoy their team. I did. I love Edwards. I want Edwards to do well. I just didn't like watching them. And then uh, I can watch him. I, look, I watched a ton of them just because of him. And that's why I felt so good about my Russell commentary. But. Well, a couple of people were like, hey, you got to check out McDaniels again. After I did the trade value, they're like, McDaniels should have at least been honorable mention. You got to check him out. Check them out. I mean, it's, he's about as fearless as a, of a perimeter guy defensively that we have now. And by the so, way, yeah. the Towns the Towns injury, it's always good when there's you Google the Carl Anthony Towns injury and like the first three hits are it's a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> I did that today. Yeah, because the was, thing is they they could add Towns to this team and it's it, they're a little frisky if it's Sacramento, Minnesota, three six. But yeah, I mean he got hurt at the end of uh November. And the initial diagnosis was four to six weeks. So that puts you at the beginning or middle of January. We're in March, baby. Take one more break. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now, I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that. Made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, let's do, uh, did we come up with a title that you like for trade history? Some people were suggesting the retradables, sober trade history. Uh, I think it's kind of on brand for you. I, I was messing with you. Bill for the audience sent me a thing being like, hey, a listener said the retradables. And I was like, would 30 year old Bill think that's the best we could do? And then I just, it shut down. I thought the text that was a mean response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell because I hadn't heard from you for like a week after. Well, it's a, you know. So in honor of gambling being legal in Massachusetts this month, maybe even by the end of this week, we're going to do the two Boston trades from 2007 that recreated the franchise, won the 17th banner, 
and led to a really nice five-year run. Two trades. The first one was Ray Allen. The second one was Kevin Garnett. The Ray Allen trade looks like this. Boston trades Delonte West, Wally Serbiak, who I think had one year left on his deal, and the number five pick, which they used to pick Jeff Green. And the Celtics received Ray Allen and the number 32 pick, Glenn Davis. And when this happened, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the point of the trade. I thought Pierce and Ray Allen as your best two guys with Jefferson, you're in the mid forties. You have no chance to win a title. And by the time Jefferson matures into whatever he's going to be, Ray Allen's too old. And the thing that I missed on this trade was where the, where the league was going for guys who really took care of themselves and could shoot the basketball. And Ray Allen ends up having five more really important years for the Celtics, helps them win the OA title, gets them to the 2010 finals and has this shelf life where by the end of that five-year run, I think he's had a better career than Reggie Miller. I think most people would just not looking at it, not weighing it, would be like, oh, Reggie Miller was better than Ray Allen. He was not. Ray Allen was a better player. He had a better career. And that trade alone was a great trade, Rosillo. What was your reaction at the time? You were living in Massachusetts. Yeah, I was there draft night in the garden and I was surprised by it because he was owed like 56 million and it right. was a ton of money and he had had the ankle problems. And if you had watched him that season, you were like, okay, where's this going? And, um, you know, he was 32. So I didn't quite get it because it felt like, all right, well, it's, it's Ray and it's Pierce, but you know, what else? But that I, if it, if I had been me now without even knowing the Garnett part of it, I would have liked it better. Cause I was, I was dumber back then. I was, me too. I was, I was still one of those guys that thought cap space was like valuable. And I remember, you know, I was looking up, I even talked to Ainge after the trade and he could, he's like, Oh, you don't like it. And then he was like, do you know how good Ray Allen is? I was like, yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty aware of Ray Allen. And he's like, I don't think you do. And I was like, oh, he's owed all this money. And then, you know, it was the first time I started thinking about it differently. He's like, all you guys are obsessed with fucking cap. Oh, he didn't swear. Um, he's like, all you guys are obsessed with cap space. But he's like, I like to trade for, I like to know what I'm getting. I don't want to wait around all summer and then be disappointed when we can't get somebody. So I'm in control of the transaction here. When I'm trading, I know exactly what it is. And that, Draft was a four-person draft, even though I know is is Captain Jeff Green over here. That was kind of the situation. It was massive disappointment. Yeah, people thought Eugene um, Lan was going to be the fifth pick. <laughs> yeah, people thought that Ainge really liked him, and uh, I'm not sure he didn't. Yeah, no, you're right. You you were on that. You were on that early because I remember we actually it was like we we were talking prior to that draft, being like, "What do you think?" or whatever. So, so, so Ray in 2005 was second team on NBA two years before this trade. I'm sorry, 2006. Um, and then got hurt in 2007 and only played 55 games. But y you made the key point. It's a kind of trade we didn't realize was a smart trade in 2007 that now we realize it's a smart trade because there's what, 40 good players in the league, give and take. Exactly. 40 really so now, good players. Instead and of waiting. Like, now I have two of the 40. That's exactly what Instead it was. Instead of Jeff I, Green, I get to hope that he's good over the next four years. Like, now I have Ray Allen. I also think there's a element to he knew that would help the Garnett conversation. Oh, no question. 
No question. Because so, that Garnett thing was done for a while. I remember, you remember how that all played out? Like, because then it took a little bit later after the draft, but like everybody's like, I think this is actually going to happen, which also spoke to Mikhail at the time. We were like, dude, if you were going to do it, why did you not do it before? Like, you would have gotten that pick. Now, again, who knows? Jeff Green ends up becoming incredible, then it's a huge, huge mistake. Jeff Green's still nice career dunking on everybody. But that was a weird part of it. It's like, well, if you knew you were like open to it, then why would you have done it? To I don't get think the pick? KG was 100% there until after the draft. I think that's but why see, they that's, didn't do it. That's all been debated too, though, because I've talked to Chauncey Billups about it in person. I've interviewed him about it, and it was like all these dudes were telling him, "Hey, man, you gotta, you gotta move on or whatever." And then that was always the rumors that Garnett did, but he didn't want to be that guy. Like, you by know, the way, is this, hilar- is this hilarious? It's the complete opposite of the way the league works, though. Yeah, he actually he, cared. He stayed <laughs> three years too long because he's like, "I'm loyal to soda." And they just put him with the worst teammates. He didn't make the playoffs for the last three years of his career there after they made the conference finals because the team was so bad. So I'd say this. I'd add to it to Cloak. I Once they got Garnett, then I loved the Ray Allen deal. Not oh, just yeah. because it influenced the Garnett thing, but from a basketball standpoint, you were like, okay, you've got this incredible, unique big who should have shot more in Garnett. You've got this ISO wing who can body people and also can shoot and pierce. And the funny thing about Ray was like, oh, he's going to hit all these open shots. It's like, actually, Ray wasn't this catch-and-shoot dude when he first got there. He was he doing a lot the more. Ball, yeah. He liked having the ball, but then it was crazy because he didn't have... He sacrificed way more than the other two guys did. Agree. And at the end of his Boston run, he sent like 45% of his threes. So, I mean, look, the trade was, you know, I mean, that's it's one of the greatest summers a guy can have as a GM. Well, and then from the Seattle part, they had the number two pick, so they have Durant, and then they have Jeff Green. They also could have, you know, potentially taken Noah there if they wanted to get uh, to get a little Randy. But they took Jeff Green, and they rebuilt themselves, and it was the right move, and they only had to carry Serbiak's salary for a year. So then, so then I think like a month, six weeks passes, and the Garnett rumbling start. And there's like a Phoenix possibility and there's a Lakers possibility and it ends up being the Celtics. Here was the trade for the listeners. Al Jefferson, we'll talk about him in a second. Gerald Green, Ryan Gomes, some expiring contracts, Boston's 2009 first, and Minnesota's 2009 first going back to Minnesota. Boston had this unprotected Minnesota pick Fast forward, that pick becomes the number six pick in the 2009 draft that they take Johnny Flynn instead of Steph Curry. So there's this alternate universe where if nothing happens, maybe the Celtics have a chance to take Steph Curry. I mean, I, I mean, there's all these other variables that could happen. And then with the 28th pick, they took Wayne Ellington. So that was the entire trade. They bet on Green's upside. He turned out to be what he was. They bet on Jefferson, who I fully supported and who had bad luck with the Celtics. He kept getting hurt every time it seemed like he was going to have a moment. So, you know, he'd had the same thing with D Brown. Just these guys that they just couldn't get over the hump with themselves. Goes to Minnesota and was pretty good, then gets hurt. And the trade, if you look back at it in retrospect, Rosillo, pretty rough from a Minnesota standpoint. Garnett ends up playing really until 2014, but he's a meaningful player for the next five years. He's, I voted for him for MVP, even though I didn't have a vote yet in 2008. And, uh, and 
now you look at the price for a guy like Durant and it's four first, it's a swap. You get Mikhail Bridges, you get Cam Johnson. Garnett was at the time as important of a player as Durant is now um, and was younger. And that's not a great trade for Minnesota. No, and everybody blamed, you know, Mikhail doing it because he did it for Ainge. Um, well, he was a Celtic. I mean, he did, he did, he walks with a limp because he loved the Celtics so much. Uh, I, well, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm, I'm saying like, I think there was some real Red Auerbach shit back in the day where those guys were yeah. like, well, if you're going to do it, right, do, do it with me. Because um, the Lakers had, what was it, Odom and Bynum. Well, the, and, the other the other part of the Garnett thing is that he wanted to go to Phoenix and he didn't want to play in Boston. Wanted nothing to do with Boston. That's true. And then Wick and those guys threw on three years of money. <laughs> and he right. was like, I'm in. <laughs> That's great. So so the funny thing about Garnett, like loving Boston, I think like a lot of athletes didn't want to go there and then goes there and is like, wait, this is the best if you're on a winning team here. Like this is... It's almost like it's almost too obsessive. And I know you know this, but, you know, it's one thing to go back and look at numbers of players. But that thing that everybody wants on their team, that's that thing that I'm always looking for when I'm trying to decipher, like, is this guy actually wired this way? Like all these fucking guys that want to say built different and all this shit. Like, nah, a lot of you guys are built the same. Garnett was different. Garnett was somebody that as soon as he was in the building, everybody knew they had to raise their level because it was like, wait, this is how this guy's wired. Including the crowd. Like, right. And people like in the beginning were almost like, is he a dick? And it's like, no, he's just the intensity from him is unlike anything you're around. I remember like prime Garnett talking to scouts and going like, what, what is it about him? And they were like, they were laughing. Like multiple guys would be like, have you ever really watched how he'll switch onto a small player? Like, this player's, like, got no chance. Honestly, Bill, he should have taken 20 shots a game. He could have put up massive scoring numbers if he wanted to, but he, yeah. he actually deferred a little bit too much offensively. But it, there was this other stuff that happens, not just on the court, but the entire season where you're on this journey together and the vibe is completely different because of a guy like that. And you don't really know it. You don't know what it's about until he's on your team. That's why I wrote a column that year with the MVP and that was why I picked him for MVP because they were the worst team in the league and he completely transformed them where they became, you know, one of the 10 best regular season teams of all time. And by point differential, whatever you want to look at, it was all because of all the stuff he did and the way like, you know, even younger players like Perkins, Rondo. Grandy was telling, because Grandy did the TV games for Minnesota for a couple of years and saw the KG thing in action day after day. And he's like, Boston's going to eat this guy up. They're going to fucking absolutely love him more than they've loved anybody in a while. This is going to be their guy. And he was right because Garnett was like a competitive sociopath and it played really well for the, for the city. Um, and then you it needed was, it. And we, we've mentioned this before too, that all of those players had to be collectively over their personal individual failures. Yeah. to sacrifice. If they had all been younger players, it might not have happened. You know, everybody's thinking about their next contract. I mean, I wonder if that's how guys peak in 27 because they care so much about numbers and all-star games and their second fucking contract so bad that there needs to be some kind of sacrifice. And that group, you know, sacrificed and yeah, and everybody's going to make fun of us because we're spending all this time praising the Celtics the whole time. But, you know, the best part about that three-year run with those guys, you know, 
is evil. All I can think about is Thibodeau when we were, I'm name dropping like crazy, but whatever, I'll tell you because I talked to the guys. We were hanging out, uh, watching games, getting ready to do TV at ESPN. And I eventually I knew I'd get there. And I was like, what was the deal? And, you know, good Tibbs, he goes, oh, the 09 team. <laughs> like evil movie character Tibbs laugh, which is an insane laugh if you get to experience yeah. it. Like he was drooling talking about how good that team was actually in a year like, after yeah, that team. Was, yeah. The year after he goes, that was easily the best team. That was the best team. But, you know, Garnett was hurt. Yeah, there's been three what if Celtics teams. That's one of them. The 91 Celtics team for me when Bird's back went out, but that team was really good and I think had a legitimate chance to win the title. And then there's the team that the 72 team that was amazing or 73. That was, I think they went like 68 and 14, something like that. And then Havlicek got hurt. Those are kind of the three what-if teams. That 09 team was just absolutely annihilating everybody for two months. Then Garnett goes up for an alley-oop in Utah and it's done. What The reason I want to do those trades together was because it's so unusual to see somebody just completely nail two trades in a row like that. Like with the real play-in too. If if that happened now with the way the ecosystem we have now for how basketball is covered, people would lose their minds how unbelievable those two trades were. Like, a, you know, we just didn't have the same infrastructure back then. But it's pretty rare, like, oh, this Ray Allen guy, I, I'm going to bet on him just recovering from those injuries and kind of peaking in a different way as he, as he ages. Like, that happens. And then, oh, this KG guy... I think he's going to be reinvigorated here and he'll change our culture and we'll win the title. And then that happens in both of them. You know, I also wonder too, if that's that kind of summer is even possible anymore with the pricing now of these trades. Like if you were trading for Ray Allen now in that version of him, although I'll admit, like we've already covered the money in the ankle part of it, you were like, what's going on? And you're like, I don't think he's that good defensively. And then, you know, Pierce could be real hit or miss defensively. Like if they weren't, you know what I mean? Like Pierce, when he wanted to play defense was pretty good because he was big and he was athletic and he was competitive. But there's also some stretches in there where it's like, all right, this guy doesn't really look like he's in it. And then you're like, so what's, what's, how's that going to work? And then who's, you know, I guess, you know, at that no, point, here's what, would, keep- here's what would happen. I think there's a pick swap in that Ray Allen trade, right? In like 2013 pick swap, something like that. But Rondo is in the KG trade. If we're doing that again, it's Rondo's kind of in the amazing KG that Rondo's not in the KG trade and Ainge fought to not have him in. And Fought people like, crazy, like us right. who were watching garbage time, terrible lottery Celtics basketball, Rondo, you could see he had something. And the team saw it too. And they smartly kept him. And he ended up being an important part of not only the 08 team, but then all the way through. But I, I think if you do that trade now, there's no way he's not in it. No, but I, what my point is, is I don't know that you would have enough assets to satisfy two different teams with those kinds of players. Oh, like yeah, whatever there would have been pl- more picks. There would have been pick swaps. Right. Probably so, like you know, four more picks, right? Under the current rules, at least. Yeah, so you wouldn't be able to do both deals, is my point. Like maybe you could figure something out if you're if you're including Rondo, or maybe that's the point that you're making here. But I also think whenever we're talking about these contenders, as we do at the beginning of the podcast and just sporadically through the rest of this whole thing, is that, you know, I've covered this before when I did my top NBA duos, which I think is Booker and Durant at this point. But yeah. Tatum and Brown had a really good argument before that Durant trade. But then you're like, wait is that good enough historically looking back on who wins titles? But we had 
the Celtics from 08. We had Miami with those three dudes, which was as unique an experience where they had figured this out, being like, we're just all going to have our contracts expire at the same time, which should have been the first clue that this was going to happen years before when they had signed those extensions. But even then, that doesn't guarantee anything. To then Golden State, to then the reincarnation of Cleveland again, where it was the standard was there has to be the third guy. So the Lakers that whole year when they win the bubble title, it was what can you flip Kuzma and whatever for the third guy because you have to have the third guy. And it's like, no, no, look around. You actually don't need the third guy. Now, you could argue that Drew Holiday was the third guy with Milwaukee, but it still doesn't feel like Giannis, Middleton, and Drew is to the standard of what the top three guys were for a decade plus there, right? Um, You know why that is, though? It's because the league is so much deeper. It's not as much of an advantage anymore, I think, as it used to be. Like yeah, but go somebody's to... going to somebody's going to try to do it again. Like somebody, three guys. I mean, look, Brooklyn tried it twice. They tried it yeah. two different times. I mean, Ben Simmons is a fake big three at this point, but Harden, Kyrie, Durant, like that's a no, he's, that's a ben real Simmons thing. Ben Simmons is literally in the big three. Like he's might join the big three league. <laughs> <laughs> he could be in there. Well done. Uh, anyway, that's that's uh that's the retradables. Before we go, let's talk uh let's talk John Jones quick. Did you think he would do that? Um, did you think he could weigh 245 pounds or whatever he ended up at? I didn't even know if that was possible. Um, and what was your takeaway watching a very short heavyweight fight? <laughs> it was short. I was surprised it went that quickly. I didn't know what to think of it. I love him as a fighter. Uh, John Anik, I remember a decade ago, was like this John Jones dude. Um, I interviewed him in person at ESPN once and I was like, when, like, what was it? Like, what happened? Like, how did you know you were this good of a fighter? He goes, well, I went into train one day and the guy's like, what have you been doing this a couple of years? And the guy was like, no, it's my first day. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he was training with like a real dude. And the guy was like, how long have you been doing this? He's like, oh, it's my first time coming here. Um, so yeah, I mean, when it comes to fighters, I know his resume outside of the cage isn't exactly something you'd be supportive of. But when I don't, I've made a deal with myself with fighters where I go like, I'm not, I'm not subletting a room. I'd probably ask for a little bit more than the first and last. I'm not introducing them to my sister. I'm watching you fight. Yeah. So I was rooting for him and I don't even know what it proved. Like, what did it prove to you? I, there was a chance of like this happens in boxing where it's just he's washed and it's and you just feel bad. That was lingering. Like I had Ariel on on a, on on Thursday. I listened. We, t- we talked about like, you know, there's Lawrence Taylor potential here, but it's like Lawrence Taylor when he's like in WrestleMania against Bam Bam Bigelow. Like we start getting like that that level of Lawrence Taylor, or he could just be really good. And you know, I don't really feel feel like we learned anything because. Cyril Gan was so bad in the fight and looked scared. Did you did you feel I I felt like he just looked uncomfortable and um I don't know. It was it was just really weird. So now I want to see him fight again because I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah, I'm not surprised he's able to put on the weight, you know, cuz he's he's a huge guy. He's got the frame for it. I mean, 240 is not that crazy. Um but then he was like 246. Yeah, but you're coming back in a 3 your layoff and you know you love boxing and we've all seen it where it's like the guy you still want to have and then you're just like when it's over it's over so fast it's like, usually oh, the guy. best guy to bet against the guy is like oh he hasn't fought in three and a half years did you bet but on gone i did a gone not i did a small gone knockout bet 
Yeah, I don't really blame it, you. It was like four to one. Just a tiny one. I wouldn't have been able to bet on Gone because there's no way I wasn't going to root for Jones. Like, I wanted to see what was going to happen. And I, I just think it's, I mean, he's the greatest to ever do it. So maybe that's part of it. But there felt like there was real awe from Joe Ogan, uh, Joe Rogan, also known as Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, when he was in the Octagon interviewing him afterwards. I mean, maybe it's just simply like now you won the heavyweight title and, you're, you know, to add to the ridiculous resume. I thought Ariel made a really good point um, that, the great thing about this fight going into it is even if he had lost, it kind of leaves the light heavyweight legacy untarnished. Yeah. Um, look, I went to go see him fight in the Gustafson rematch. Like I went, I couldn't, I couldn't wait um, to see it in person. Cause I'm just like, did I ever tell you that ESPN went after I interviewed him, they posted a picture of us together. And I think he was like part two of his apology tour. Yeah. And the social media director posted the picture. And it was like, Ryan Rosillo met one of his favorite people today. And I was like, can you not fucking do that quote? <laughs> Unforced error. <laughs> so who's his next fight? What does he do now? Well, he, afterwards, he was like, hey, anybody, you guys want to see me beat up Stipe? And Stipe, you know, when you're that level of badass, nothing scares you. And he just sort of shrugged. He didn't get mad. He showed like almost no emotion whatsoever. So they were even talking about hurrying that one up. Uh, I thought another thing Ariel said that I thought was really interesting is that Francis Ngannou was not even mentioned like at all. Yeah, he's been like written out of history. It seems like but in fighting, I would, I would never happen. Yeah, I would never write off anything potentially happening because we just know it's happened too many times. Like, oh, that'll never happen. And you're like, wait, how much? So I'd like to see him have to fight. I, I don't know if Gon was scared. I mean, Jones was cutting off the ring and then he got him in a choke. And I think Gon was like, what the fuck just happened? It was it was so quick and weird. He kicks him in the balls and then gets choked out and the fight's over in a minute. <laughs> what, a, what a round. Uh, it was it was both anticlimactic and awesome. Especially because it did, was unclear what happened because the camera angle they had, you didn't even know. It was like, wait, what just happened? They didn't Why? even know. Yeah, you know, the like at first. Yeah, because their back, his back was to them. So, you know, Anik was like watching the replays, like looking around, go, what happened? And then when you saw the replay, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's that like was... he could have like broken his windpipe. Yeah, it's like Commando style. Remember Commando? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so is he the number one draw again? In your opinion? I don't know if he's a bigger draw than McGregor. I mean, McGregor's going to fight again. Yeah. He's now that's one I want to bet against. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's one I'm ready to bet against, like in a real you, way. You didn't like two oh five McGregor with a couple <laughs> couple proper twelves in him next to Gyllenhaal Hall last night? <laughs> no. I don't like the last five years of McGregor, just in general. Let's say it's got <laughs> the arrows pointing down. All right. And the arrow's pointing down, but you asked me who's the biggest draw. So Yeah, you're probably he is probably the biggest household name. I wanted to see McGregor say, I got, I got next. I'll get up to 240. <laughs> 20 more pounds. Just a ton of Guinness. All right, we're wrapping up. Uh, Rosillo's doing his podcast Tuesday, Thursday this week. Is that correct? That's right. We got John Anik, actually, uh, on oh, Tuesday. And we got Greg Olson. We got Kevin Herter in the queue. Headband? Probably Maybe I might wear a headband. You should wear for it. And then we got McShay coming up again to talk some draft since newest mocks are on Tuesday. So yeah, excited. Everyone was uh, losing their minds 
about the QB and the combine and all the numbers. Anthony Richardson? Yeah. And I usually don't pay attention to the combine at all, and I think it's weird. But in this case, everyone just like had a stroke about what just everything. And it actually seemed like uh, he might have swung it a little bit where he's in contention now for the number of pick. Like he swung the odds. There's like a Cam Newton graphic of all his numbers versus Cam Newton yeah. coming out of college. And it just feels like something happened. Yeah, Cam Newton had arguably the greatest single season I've ever seen in the history of college football. Okay. And that Auburn team wasn't that great. Yeah. Uh, and what he did every fucking week for that team, I mean, the Alabama comeback, uh, you know, granted they smoked South Carolina, but uh, you know, there was a there was a handful of games. I think there was a Clemson game in there. I mean, there was all sorts of games in there where it's like it's such a disservice to compare Anthony Richardson to Cam Newton when all Richardson did was and Richardson's weird because, you know, I'm going to do this next year. You and I should do this, by the way. Well, actually, I don't think you want to do it because you don't watch enough college football. I don't. So never mind. You're out. I'm going to look at van. the I'll look at the college uh, before the college season starts to come out with a mock. Not the one that comes out after draft because McShay tells me it's his most watched. Or excuse me, I should say it this way. It's his most clicked on article that he does when he predicts the next year's first round. It's his least favorite thing, and it's the most clicked on. Because he's like, I just got to pick 32 picks a year out without even doing the film. I heard McShay had Bronny James 10th. That was a diff- different draft guy. Different My draft bad. guy. My bad. Um, that, did, that, was, that was questioned in some circles, in NBA circles. <laughs> like but, all of them? So, uh, <laughs> McShay... Or Mel, whoever you want to pick, right? Um, and I know Danny Kelly does a great job, too, at, yeah. at our place. Um, I want to do over-unders on the before the college football season. Because Anthony Richardson, somebody had him like 15. I don't know if it was Todd or Mel. Before the season started, and I went, no way. Because I had watched him the year before, and I was like, I get the physical part of it. I'm like, he stinks. Then I was in on him after the Utah game. Because he was doing some incredible things. And then it fell apart. And I asked McShay, I go, what happened? He goes, they figured out how to defend him and he's like a mess. And so that's what you get to see if you watch Gators football, most, if you watch the full season of it. So this is the part where I know like the NFL has this weird protective, like college is stupid and we hope every college coach comes to the NFL and fails. Like it's true. It happens all the time. It's so reversed during this phase. Like he's, he's testing out of everything. Like he's a superhero and you're like, he was bad. He was just straight up bad this year. And so was Will Levis, by the way. So I'll leave you with this take from Tommy Alter, who went to the SNL with Travis Kelsey. And well, who is Tommy Alter? He is, you know, he, Tommy Alter. No, I know who he is, but like out of nowhere, hey, I went with Travis Kelsey to SNL. No, no, didn't go with Travis Kelsey. He oh. went to the SNL. Okay, see, that's that's what I think so highly of Alter Circles. You would have figured he went to with Travis Kelsey. So he went and he reports back after watching Travis Kelsey host SNL that Travis Kelsey is going to be the next great action movie star. That's his review. I've not seen the show. Just I'm just planting that seed for Todd McShay's next uh, next draft. I don't know. I feel like if Howie Long didn't get a fair enough shot, I don't think anyone can do it. Howie Long was good in Broken Arrow. He's really good in Broken Arrow. The yeah, Jeep that scene. felt like yeah, I felt like he laid some groundwork there. There's a little bit of a bias. Bosworth, I understand why that didn't work out. Now we got Gyllenhaal in this UFC movie. Like we we got actors crossing over to sports and vice versa. Maybe it's time for Kelsey. Have you I met Gyllenhaal? Like, 
Yeah, I did a pod with him once. What'd you think? I actually liked him. It was fun. And you it, say and that as if you were surprised. I didn't, you know, child actor, who knows? I, mean, I always have my guard up. But yeah, I thought he was he was a really good guest. Also broke the record for mo most female employees of The Ringer walking by my window where I did the pods, just pretending that they had something to get. Guess who ranked number one at the ESPN car wash for most women coming by? Jake Gyllenhaal? Liam Neeson. Really? Yeah. I have a particular set of skills. Uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You're pretty good at this high-end, high-level stuff. Yeah. You and Iger had a nice little sit-down. I'm sure you've had more than a few sit-downs, not all public. Is Silver going to take over Disney? I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I heard in 2023 so far, other than about 20 uh, NBA takes on the ESPN shows. I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that he takes over Disney. Because this is your world. For those listening, like... There's no way. Bill Bill isn't going to go like, oh, they're going to flip this guy for two seconds. He'll be like, hey, Rosillo, keep it low, but there's another moon. I think you know who's going to take over for Bob Iger? this summer. You know who it's going to be? No, uh, honestly, I'll tell you right Tom now. Tom Arnold. It's going to be Bob Iger. He's not going anywhere. It's going to be this like is, the Bud Selig thing. I'll just do this for a little while and get it It's going to be the Bud Selig. All right, fine. Two more years. And I The think, Bud Selig one was great, and then everybody found out how much he made. They're like, oh, wait, this guy doesn't want to quit this job? Right. Exactly. Dana Walden, I think, would be the favorite if I had to pick one. Content background, female, first female in charge of Disney. That would be my. Uh, that would be where my money was. And you and love then, the Iger book, right? Yeah, I think Pataro's not. It's not, not outrageous to think he's a a possible guy because he just moved up. Like they just promoted Burke Magnus to president. Pataro kind of moved into that George Bodenheimer type role, where. That's like there was a there was a moment there when Bo oh Burke moved up I didn't know that Burke's yeah, Burke, awesome Burke, Burke uh, big day for Burke's... Holy Cross you missed out yeah the, in the Holy Cross circles it was huge so Burke got moved up and Jimmy's moving up and I think Jimmy's in the mix too but I, I thought you know the stuff decided yeah I mean I I shouldn't even be talking with you about it I should have somebody else on but first Burke is uh, one of my favorites and I think the cool thing about Pataro is that he's just fucking normal. <laughs> It's normal. so refreshing. You're like, wait, this guy's this important and he's just fucking normal. Normal That's guy amazing. who just yeah. keeps programming long Yankees documentaries over and over again. It'd be like if I was in charge of ESPN it, and it was just like, I have a, there's nine part Nomar Garcia Pera documentary. Kobe. Honestly, dude, are, are you, <laughs> it's called Noma are you, with an are exclamation you point. Are you pretending this isn't kind of true? <laughs> oh, I have... I have one last thing for you and then I'll go. And it's short and we can't talk about it. But I saw Air. The Nike movie. It's really good. People are killing the trailers. It's really good. People are going to, people are going to regret killing the trailers. The movie's good. And for people, it, whatever the Venn diagram is for people like us that like sports culture, certain things have a background of 80s, 90s nostalgia stuff. There's just no way you're not going to like it. Affleck and Damon could do Look Who's Talking for, and I'd watch it. This movie is is it's it's really good. I'll leave you on that. Rosillo, good to see you. I'll see you next Sunday. All right. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti. Thanks to Rosillo. 
I will see you on the Rewatchables feed on Monday night. Might see you on this feed on Tuesday. It's 50-50. You will definitely see me on Thursday. Enjoy the rest of the day. So